0: Blackjack with Griffin and David Jack with Griffin and David Don't know what to say or to expect All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blackjack
1: Grab somebody, come on down Bring your paintbrush,
2: we're painting the town There's some sweetness going round Dreams do come true in podcast leans. So I want to, because I think people might be confused. It was a heady opening. What I did there. This movie uh, is set in uh, New Orleans. Yeah, Nolens. Right, it's right, right. Now I'm I'm pronouncing it in the very uh, non-traditional way, the overly formal way. Uh, New Orleans instead of Nolens. Because uh, in order to execute the and once again, a very subtle sort of nuanced joke that I want to open the episode with, I had to um, imply that there is a place called podcast leans. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And that, in fact, that place is where dreams uh, do come true. They sure do. In podcast leans. Here's the thing that really hit me hard watching this movie. Because I was digging back into, like, while I was watching it, I was going through all the, like, Wikipedia citations. A thing I I often uh, do when we uh, do this show is I'll start on the Wikipedia, and then I'll start looking at the linked articles from the time the movie came out, and then I'll use that as a rabbit hole to look into other things. Because I'm always trying to remember, like, how were things received? How were they anticipated? What was the discourse like at the time, uh, rather than, than what's it like now? And there was so much hand-wringing, obviously, about the representation in this movie, and Disney would announce something, and then they'd get blowback, and then they'd go, never mind, we're changing it, we're changing it. There was all this stuff. But they were trying so hard to be like, this is important. We understand the importance of it. It's our first black princess. It's an African-American movie. It's set in New Orleans. We're being respectful of the culture. Musker and Clement's going like, trust me, we take this seriously. We went on vacation there for 10 days. We did <laughs> our work. We took it very seriously. They did
3: their, their, their classic two-week vacation. where like, We went to Africa. We went to
2: China. We went to New Orleans. Don't <laughs> worry, guys. We soaked it in. Their defense every time is, trust me, we didn't take this lightly. We spent 10 to 14 days there. It never (laughs) surpasses two weeks. It's always 10 at the minimum, 14 at the most. But for all of that, for all of that, you look at this movie and they're like, we really wanted to be respectful to the culture of New Orleans. And that's why we made sure to throw that authenticity into the movie by putting in the voice cast, the three most important New Orleans residents. Dr. John, Emeril Lagasse, and John Goodman. Hmm, what's the, and there's a, hmm, there's some connective tissue of the three New Orleans residents you choose to put in the film as voice actors. What is it? There's some, Dr. John, John Goodman, Emerald Lagasse. Well, no, I think that pretty much covers the spectrum.
3: Uh, <laughs> I, know, I did not think about it that way, but it's, it's a fair point.
2: It it hit me. It hit me with the Emerald Lagasse because I would not have recognized the voice. He plays an alligator very briefly, but I was just like, sure. "That's weird that Emerald's a voice actor in this because he's not an actor, famously, conclusively, as one season of Emerald on NBC taught us."
3: I, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say the man put his t- time in on network TV. Can't forget about that.
2: He tried. He he tried, and we all collectively said, "No, thank you."
3: That's all right, Emerald. Thank you. Thank you. But no, thank you.
1: I mean, you could say they went bam to this movie.
2: Right. We, they, they went bam, despite the fact that the public had said to Emerald, eh, maybe take it down a notch. But that's the one where I was like, why is Emerald in this? Oh, because they wanted real New Orleans authenticity and it stopped that. Two white guys named John and a chef.
3: You're right. I can't deny anything you just said.
2: You, you asked me right before we started recording, do I like this movie? And I said, let's save it for when we start recording. So, uh, hello, everybody. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce in podcast leans. And <laughs> this is a mini series on the films. Of Musker and Clements charting the Disney Renaissance, the rise, the fall, the rise, the fall. This is uh, a sort of a- an aborted rise before the-, the real rise takes post-fall, post-rise. It's a mild rise, but yeah, It's a mild rise. It's a half rise. Uh, it's called uh, The Puddle Mercast. We are talking about their final 2D animated film, uh, Princess and the Frog, which I do not really like. <laughs> That's interesting okay all right. all right uh i i saw it in theaters i was pretty nonplused with it i wouldn't say i dislike it but i i there are elements i find mildly charming and there are a lot of things i find frustrating in it and it ends up just sort of evening out to a net neutral
3: because hmm. i think my take and i don't know what our guest thinks either to be honest is that this film is excellent but you know while i acknowledge some of the the, the, the broader almost outside of the film issues with the film, if that makes sense like as mm-hmm. it, it, a as a cultural statement, I don't know if this film is that is totally successful, but uh i li- I like this movie a lot. I've watched it many times
2: many times wow okay
0: it's that's hard it's hard i think it's the movie is i feel like the movie is is good, but then but then when you think about it, it's bad.
1: Uh, yes, when,
3: when I when I think about like oh is this what they should have done? I'm like probably not, no. But when I'm like I kind of want to watch my my little frog buddies flirt, and and then like you know I want I, I I really like the villain and oh I you know like you know there's lots of things about this movie I enjoy. I've seen it several times. Yeah. but right was the entire Enterprise well mounted? I don't know.
2: Our our, our guest today. Has done an entire podcast episode on this movie before on his own podcast, Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood, which I listened to at the time and then realized right before we started recording I should have re-listened to anticipation of this so as to not make you repeat every point because we want to try to establish new things. But do you do you not even remember what you said? That
0: I have no idea what I said. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I liked it then or what. <laughs>
2: I, you had Caroline Martin on. I remember listening to the episode at the time. But I, I certainly relate to that very hard. I now have the experience. I don't know if you've had this increase. Our guest, our guest today, our guest today from the Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood podcast an Astronomy Club, all that, Black Mirror, James Third is back on the show.
0: Woo! So glad to be back. This is
2: <laughs> so glad to have you back. <laughs> and to back. talk
0: about this movie in particular will be fun. I
2: gave you I gave you a pretty long list and you said Princess and the Frog's the one I, I'd want to do. And I'd remember that you did an episode on it, but I didn't remember where you really came down on it. I was gonna say, uh, I don't know if you have this, James. And in general, it's just like uh, our podcast started about the same time. I think you guys have been doing your show for about five or six years, the same with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just at this point, you've, you put a lot of thoughts down on microphone. It's hard to keep track of them. And also so many episodes are like, this is my very, very strongly formed opinion on this movie on the day I recorded it. You know, like (laughs) those opinions can like shift over time, uh, or at least intense intensity they can shift, but also you just make so many bits and you like share so many opinions and you share so many anecdotes and all this sort of stuff. And then now at the point where we're almost like a year into doing these things like remotely in this isolated way, in this like nebulous time where everything's soup, I just no longer remember anything I've said on the show.
0: I don't know what I've talked about. I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about any movie anymore. <laughs> like, I
3: don't know. This is why I would listen to the podcast that we put out to just remind myself like, oh, okay, I said. you know, helps me not repeat myself later, but. Now there's the dual problem of one, I'm so behind on my podcast listening because of the pandemic. I don't commute. And so I don't listen to as many podcasts. So I'm behind on our podcast. And two, some of these episodes are five years old. I don't fucking remember what I said about Vanilla Sky. I don't know. Let's do another Vanilla Sky episode. That movie's kind of (laughs) grown on me.
2: I'm in the exact same position where it's like, it's not even like a self-satisfied, like, oh, I want to listen back to this podcast I did. But it was like, or let's listen back, like in a like Defara, like let me have a slice after I I close up the pizza shop every night to make sure I still know how to make pizza.
0: You know, I still got it. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's all right. That's that was that was pretty good.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's still good. I, I I don't need to retire yet. But but a yes, I'm so behind on podcasts. B we we record so much because we like try to stay ahead. So like the idea of throwing on three hours of myself talking after it's like, all I do is listen to myself fucking talk. I sit alone in silence in an apartment and I record five episodes a week. I never (laughs) want to hear myself on microphone ever again. It's not five,
3: (laughs) it's three.
2: But yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, it had been long enough since you, you wanted to do this movie and it had been long enough since you had done on Black can't uh, Can't Jump in Hollywood. I was curious. To hear your thoughts on especially within this context
0: i mean i just i i definitely on this on this rewatch feel like some of the stuff was was similar i was like oh yeah i I remember loving how much it just felt like a 2d disney animated movie the way it looks and the way they talk and the way like just everything it just had that energy and and they really especially the beginning of the movie they're like hey remember what this feels like you know and they caress you with it and it feels good and you're like yeah I love yeah oh, my nostalgia for this is very is very prevalent
3: it's been i mean if you're counting tarzan that's a musical right they sing in that right i barely remember it but it's been 10 years it's it's a long awaited thing
2: right that's the that's the weird thing it's been like 10 years since there was like a classical sort of like disney fable musical in 2d but it's only been five years since they've released a 2d film i mean you have like tarzan's the last of like that era and then you have atlantis treasure planet lilo and stitch brother bear home on the range which are all sort of weird uh, uh, emperor's new groove which are all sort of weird new experiments and expanding that end up sort of like falling off a cliff at the end of that run and it, the timeline is so bizarre i was re-familiarizing myself with it it's like they, they stop production on everything that wasn't too far along after Treasure Planet bombs. They go like, Brother Bear and Home on the Range, you get to finish. You're the last two through the door. Everything else, just stop it in its place, right? Uh, Rapunzel was supposed to happen. The Ice Princess was supposed to happen, or the Snow Queen or whatever, uh, which then becomes Frozen. Like, they just put the brakes on everything we're, we're stream uh, front chicken little and meet the Robinsons and bolt, right? We're going CGI. The old Disney movie style is done, right? That happens in 2004 after home on the range. They officially announced like we're closing down the studios. Musker and Clements are let go. All the old guard guys are let go. Then in 2005, Disney buys Pixar places, lots of hug and Lassiter in charge of animation. And he immediately is like, we're reopening hand drawn. We're hiring everyone <laughs> back. It was a span of a year. And then this is announced in 2006.
3: It was a logical decision uh, to like the, the decision. I mean, the, the, the saddest period in Disney history is that chicken little meet the Robinson's Bolt. You know, that that's just, uh, that's not, no, no one was happy with that. I know you sort of stick up for meet the Robinson's. I kind of like Meet the Robinsons, yeah.
0: I I remember when I first saw Chicken Little, I like laughed and thought it was really fun, and then I went back and watched it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like it was like, no, oh, it's not, it's not what I remembered it to be.
2: It's so bizarre that movie. It's 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 such a weird period. I mean, I do think like part of the issue is yes, I. I I have this same like it activates the same sort of like buttons for me just watching a movie be this unabashedly a Disney princess musical uh, after it felt like they were taking so many half measures and being so embarrassed of that for so long. But there's also a degree in which it feels like it is doing all of that stuff a little bit too self-consciously for me. Like it's like a cover band of itself where the movie keeps on announcing like you love this. You miss this. Right. And then the next year after this is Tangled, which I think is the best of the modern Disney animated movies, the best of the last, like, 15 years. And Tangled is obviously CGI, but I think does a better job of, like, representing the the energy of those movies and also putting something more modern into it. And then obviously after that Frozen happens and and just the chance of them ever making a movie this classical again kind of goes out the window, it feels like. Sure. Once once they nail the the frozen tangled balance where it's like, oh, you're doing a Disney princess musical, but it's modern and it's CGI. The CGI is styled to look more like Disney drawings. It's not realistic. And you have the weird clothing shapes and whatever. Then I just feel like that's that's the exact formula that they now want to work on.
3: I right, I don't like that um, nonsense uh i like I do like Tangled I prefer this film to Tangled though I really um, prefer Tangled uh and I don't like how Tangled looks uh which is part of the problem, but I also don't like Tangled is about Rapunzel I mean like that that's that's my big problem with Tangled like it's just the fundamental problem, which is like i I can't with with you know girls in dresses and castles anymore as much as I like the you know there's a lot of fun stuff that tangled does
0: i I really liked Tangled. But, but I avoided, I avoided Frozen for a long time. Like I, like I didn't, Frozen 2 was coming out and I hadn't seen the first Frozen, but I, but, and, and, but I had seen the, (laughs) that like Olaf movie that they put in front of Coco. We all saw that. But I hadn't seen Frozen, so I had no understanding of, of like why I should hate this. Were you like, oh, this snowman guy, he's fun. And I, so I was like this is fucking incredible. I was like <laughs> I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Wow. <laughs> the only person. But I but I get that it was like they were like let's tack this movie on to Coco in yeah. case this in case this movie bombs and like people don't want to or people don't want to see A bunch of brown people talking for ninety minutes. Let's put, but I, but but me just being like, all right, this Disney baby. Let's see, let's let's see what's going on. It's it's so funny
2: that that was their calculation. It was so clear that that was their exact calculation of like, okay, here we have like a Mexican Disney movie coming out after Trump was elected. Is this not gonna work? Let's give them twenty five minutes of Frozen beforehand, and people reacted so negatively. They pulled the Frozen short. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's astonishing that the response was that vicious that they were like, no more frozen on my screen, please.
3: (laughs) I remember it being 40 minutes long. Is that wrong? Like, I remember it being just like interminably, insanely long. Maybe it was like it
0: was really long. 40
3: minutes if you're
2: including the trailer pre-roll, right? Like, it's going to take you. I think it's 25 because it was supposed to be a TV special. And it's also just you're seeing a lot of trailers and your brain is conditioned to, oh, the shorts that play before these movies are four minutes long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not not a like has a full like several act story. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> songs? <laughs> this, this has
2: act breaks?
3: I I I left the theater because uh, I knew I had been warned like, you know, this yeah. thing is like so I left. I went and got snacks. I, I don't know. I probably walked around and made some conversation like yeah. I just like was like, I have to stall as long as possible because I actually want to enjoy Coco.
2: I saw Coco, I think, three times in theaters. And the first time I caught the fucking Olaf thing and the second two times that I went to see it with people, I was like, good news. You don't even have to show up to the theater until 20 minutes <laughs> after the advertised show time. Right. What time's the movie at? Four fifty. I'll meet you at five fifteen.
3: <laughs> um. But wait, wait. Did this have an animated short in front of it, Griff? I think Princess it and did. The Frog?
2: It must have, right? Like they usually did that. I don't know. I mean, they start doing that more with the Disney because mo- that's another Lasseter thing. Like, oh, the Disney animated films should also have shorts in front of them. But I'm trying to think of what it would have been. I'm not sure if there was one. Yeah, there may not
3: have been one. I'm not seeing any mention of one. Um, Griffin, I'm assuming you you said you said you saw this in theaters. You were whelmed. It sounds like I was well, were you pumped for it? Were you like, I'm so happy Disney's back to the princess 2D thing? Or were you kind of like, well, let's see what this is.
2: Uh, I, I I mean, a combination. I think I did. I was not very excited for the movie itself. Like the materials I would see for the movie were not very exciting to me, but I was very excited philosophically for them doing this. Right. Like I was excited for every single thing about this movie on paper. And then every time I saw a trailer, I was like, this just doesn't feel totally right to me. And I, I, you know, a lot of the Disney movies were often marketed on the most simplistic level. We talked about this, but like Frozen and Tangled, it was largely because of the underperformance of this movie. And yeah, the movie still made $100 million domestic 100 and like million. 250 mm-hmm. worldwide. But the bar for Disney is obviously so goddamn high that they viewed this as an underperformance. Tangled was already like almost done. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Snow Queen became Frozen and they punted that over to CGI and rethought the whole thing. But both of those movies were supposed to be called Rapunzel and the Snow Queen. And then they were like, no. Cannot have any princess shit in the title. Come up with, like, an action word, right? Put that in there and then make the trailers as much about, like, the funny animal sidekicks as possible. Like, they were actively trying to hide the fact that they were musicals and that they were princess movies. Exactly. Like, Tangled, you had the 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 poster where you got
3: uh, Flynn with the, like, uh, cast iron pan and that the horse has a sword, like... Same with Frozen, obviously, being Olaf heavy. They tried to emphasize comedy over majesty uh, in the in the advertising. Yeah, like and then, of course, post-Frozen, they're like back to majesty. Disney is the distill- distillation of magic like there where we, we have it again.
2: <laughs> but now they can do it again. Like by the time you get to Moana, which we'll talk about next week, they're just like, this is a Disney princess musical. We're proud of it. Here's our lead character. She is the hero of the movie. Everyone enjoy. And people are amped. It's a big hit. Everyone loves it. And, we, and we've and we brought in a major composer. We're
3: spending the money. You know, like, it's yeah. everything. It's not just, like, one or two. You know, because I feel like by the end of the uh, Disney boom, the Disney renaissance, I mean, I guess uh, they start to go for, because Phil Collins, they start to go for um, pop, pop singers. Like, you know, Elton John, I guess, kind of breaks their brain so they're like right phil collins sting let's get in these guys which was a mistake but i guess i guess i get what they were doing with this this one's of course randy newman the great randy newman
0: yeah but i i mean that randy newman was one of my issues with this movie like (laughs) and it sucks too because i love randy newman one of my favorite
2: musical artists of all time both as a solo artist and his film work
0: I have no problem with Randy Newman, like, you know, you got a friend in me. All right, cool, Great, buddy. That's great. <laughs> you do indeed have a friend in me, Randy. <laughs> and the songs in this movie are, are fun and, it's, and, you know, they're fun and you like, you, you go through the story and you, but like, I just want a, a real knowledge jazz <laughs> musician to like do all of this music. It's
3: a strange decision.
2: It's it's a lot of what I struggle with on this movie is is that it just feels like they're they're kind of one foot in one foot out about a lot of stuff and also overthinking a lot of the calculations, right? Because this movie was pretty much just sold on two planes. Look at the progress we're making culturally. Here is your first African American princess. And also, we're getting back to our roots. We're doing the thing that Disney's known for. We're not embarrassed anymore. But then th- yeah. the Randy Newman element is so weird because it's like, well, but like, do, are people still cynical about those songs? If we bring Mencken back and make it super classical, is that too much? Randy Newman does Pixar movies, which are a little more modern and a little more edgy. Also, he's from Louisiana, so we can have him do the music. But also, this isn't really the person you should have writing these songs.
3: It's It's the 2000s thing of the the slightly lip servicey I mean every ev- not just Randy new but like the you know you, I'm sure you read it but the early like the character was called Maddie uh what was the, you know she was a chambermaid like yeah. it, it felt it felt like they made these it, wait, the movie was called Frog Princess right it wasn't called The Princess and the Frog right
2: that that title was changed because people thought it was offensive to French people. <laughs>
3: Well, there are there are French speakers, uh, you know, sort of, I suppose, down in the bayou. I don't know. But yes, no, it it is funny that people were like,
2: hey, you trying to come after the French? Is that is that what you're doing here? It just speaks to the fact that every time they like stepped out on stage, tightened, like straightened their bow tie and went, we are proud to announce people just booed them. Right. (laughs) Because I'm saying like (laughs) the next element is Randy Newman. And people were like, what? (laughs) I mean, just the fact that
3: they brought on Oprah Winfrey as a quote unquote technical consultant. What like what does that mean? Like what, what yeah. was that phone call? Like I know Oprah <laughs> Winfrey is a, a, a black woman from the South, but it's like are they just like sh- can we just like bounce this story off? You see what you think? Like I like what that the weird Disney lip service of the era. I mean, and and it's it's a story of so many of the movies we've covered like. Yeah. Uh on this on this mini series, Aladdin is is what I'm thinking of. I guess they, I guess the other ones were not Musker Clements. You know, you think of Mulan, you think of right. Pocahontas. Uh, Pocahontas, like yeah. where it's like, oh, you know, sure, one step forward. You wanna do something different. You wanna have a different kind of protagonist. Okay. And then they're like, anyway, so like, I don't know what the dragon should be called what? Mushu, maybe? Like like you know, like there's just no further <laughs> Uh and, and the and of course the classic two-week vacation to China or Africa or where like what well, you know, the The Lion King is another example, right? You know, where they're like, Yeah, we did we 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 got it. We we know what's going on. Like this this movie's gonna be highly culturally attuned.
2: But I even think like the the Randy Newman of it all is just like a his sensibility isn't totally right for a a straight, sort of more earnest Disney princess musical, right? Like he he obviously is beloved for writing like the Pixar songs and stuff, but the Pixar movies notably don't have characters singing those songs. They're not story songs. That's not really what he's good at. And his one Broadway musical he did was his biggest calamity – of his entire career. He did a bizarre Faust musical that people hated, that I think is interesting. But it's like, this is not his strong suit, is doing character story songs.
3: No, I have to put my foot down. Randy Newman is a great storyteller songwriter. Like, he had just written a a massive anthem about Louisiana, Louisiana 1927, that was all about Katrina, like, that had, like, dominated the airwaves over there. Like, and he's famous for his storytelling and his songwriting, not in the Pixar movies, but in his albums, and his music.
0: Randy Newman. I didn't have a problem story-wise with, like, like, I really liked, like, Are You Ready? I really liked, I really liked Almost, I'm Almost There.
2: Almost There. That's the one song I think believable. So good. I think that's yeah. a great number. I love it visually. I think it's a great song. That's the one where it feels like they hit the bullseye for me. I didn't know
3: this was going to be a contentious, at our Each Other's Throats episode, but this score is great. <laughs> I love all the music. I just, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I like the music. I like the movie. I agree that I don't think they should have hired Randy Newman. Like, in a broader, like, this is Disney making its first musical with a black protagonist scent. You know what I mean? Like, even though I enjoy the outcome. Not knowing Newman's
0: uh, New Orleans roots, like, I just wanted a black composer like i just wanted a black composer and like absolutely and i wanted there and 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 i think i wanted watching it now was like it's it's hard because it's 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 me i think it's me overthinking this and not me actually just trying to watch this kid's disney movie but like i wanted it i wanted everything to sort of feel edgier like i just mentioned really liking are you ready but i don't like how much are you ready sounds like it sounds like it's like trying to, it's hearkening back to, to early Disney instead of being like this song about like voodoo, uh, creatures pulling you into hell or whatever.
3: It, it, right. It's technically called, uh, Friends on the other side is the name of that song,
0: yes, yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: i I just think that they they can't totally decide which things they want to be step forwards and which things they want to be throwbacks to their history and i if i can if I can split a hair here and and I am allowed the opportunity to refine my point, David, I'm a huge Randy Newman fan. I fucking know <laughs> that best. Randy Newman is good at story songs, but let's make it clear on his albums. Each song is one isolated story. He writes songs from the perspective of a character, and most of those songs are satirical. What I'm talking about is Faust, he does not do like concept albums. Faust is one of his only works where he's building one solid narrative around the culmination of songs building to a story, right? That is not what he's asked to do. The only other musical film I think he's written was Cats Don't Dance, where the, the songs are fun. I'm not saying he can't do this, but it is not what he does primarily. I think he can do it, as evidenced by <laughs> The Princess and the Frog, which I think is pretty good.
0: How many, how many Randy Newman tattoos do you have, David?
3: <laughs> I gotta say, I fucking love Randy Newman. I do, I do. Like I love I love the guy. But this is
0: the thing. I might be a bigger
2: Randy Newman fan than you are. I'm worried that this is coming off like I'm a Randy Newman hater when I'm a Randy
0: Newman obsessive. We've all established that we love Randy Newman. And we love Randy <laughs> Newman!
3: The, one of the saddest things was when uh, the, the New York Film Critics Circle gave him a special award, I guess it was last year, mm-hmm. for, like, I guess it was Marriage Story was the peg, but, you know, for, like, whatever, like a lifetime of film music.
2: You say it was for Marriage Story, I'm pretty sure it was for uh, I Won't Let You Throw Yourself Away, the greatest song ever written for a movie, Toy Story 4, Forky's Ballad
3: it's true. he had also done toy story 4 so we were very excited because randy knew it's like okay then randy newman will come to the dinner and then like i mean randy newman is not a young man anymore uh and he you know he could not travel uh at whatever that month you know he was ha- there was something up so he couldn't come which was sad i would have liked to have seen randy newman it was still nice to award randy newman obviously just just a little thought about randy newman we we belong together not an oscar for that one
0: Oh, and I loved, hold on, there's one more that I really loved. It's like probably a couple of the Ray race, race songs were really fun. Yeah, the Ray songs are great. This, this movie has got to fucking firefly
2: that wants to turn into a star it's got all kinds of cool shit going on no i just want to make this very clear because i feel like as you said this is already feeling like it's shaping up to be a contentious episode and it's not that i have like a bunch of really strong anti-takes on this movie the problem is watching it just now i felt the same way which uh, that i felt seeing it in theaters both times really wanting to love it like As I said, I was not super excited by the marketing materials, but I loved that they were doing this. And, uh, you know, the Tangled and Frozen marketing campaigns I mentioned were after this, but there was a history of Disney trying to misrepresent things in order to try to make them seem broader. And I was like, maybe I'm going to sit down. I'm going to feel that classic Disney Renaissance magic. And this time I went, I haven't seen this movie in 11 years. I've been watching Musker Clements for the last month or two. I'm really in that headspace. Maybe I'm going to rediscover it as a masterpiece. And both times I just feel kind of bored by this movie. I find this movie weirdly kind of unengaging. There are things in it that I respect where I go like, I like that craft. This is cool. There are things in it where I go like, that conceptually feels off. That seems a little like wrongheaded. But but it just levels out to me just being a little bit unengaged. Here's
3: my thing that uh, I felt that I felt this time that I had not felt before. Uh, and I have no idea if you guys will have felt the same thought, but like, this is the first time I watched this movie after having seen soul Mm -hmm. and the fact that, uh, 11 years later, Pixar finally had a movie with a black lead where the, you know, black lead is in the body of an animal, uh, for a lot of the movie, which is a complaint people had about this movie and a complaint people had about soul. I don't know for whatever, like it just was more lodged in my brain or even more lodged in my brain this time watching this movie. I you know I don't think it's like it, it, it's a thing that, that makes story sense. You know, like I don't think it's like this absolutely bananas thing in either movie, but you do. You know, it's hard not to sort of be like, what is up with that? Like, you know, like right <laughs> to sort of have the eyebrow raised moment. You, am I did this occur? Yeah, I don't
2: know. Ja- James, at the time we're recording this, uh, you guys at Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood just released your Soul episode yesterday, yes. which I have yeah. not listened to yet. Will have been <laughs> out for a couple months by the time this episode comes out. Don't want to make you relitigate that. But but it is, I I was thinking about the exact same things while watching this movie in the light of Soul. What's your basic stance on Soul?
0: I, I uh, liked Soul, and but had a problem with, the especially because the story what's actually happening story wise of him being in the body of the cat they could have just written something else (laughs) like it could have it could have just been something else
3: (laughs) it felt like they needed antics right like it felt like there was this sort of need for like okay we need something that you know kids will respond to and it'll be madcap and fun that seemed to be it didn't have the same thematic thrust
0: but isn't it as much an issue if 22 ends up accidentally in the cat like isn't it Still a problem. <laughs>
3: like, right. The, Soul has the double swap, right? That's the, that's the other issue with Soul specifically, right?
2: With, with both of these movies, right? Watching both of them on Disney Plus within a span of a month, right? And, and comparing the two of them a lot in my mind, as all of us are right now, uh, by the nature of these podcast episodes we have to do. Uh, in both cases, I, I just hit, like, couldn't they just do this instead? And for yeah. Soul, it's, is there any reason Soul didn't do all of me, like didn't do the Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin, where they're both stuck in the one body and the complication oh, is yeah. that he,
0: wow, that's, a that, yeah, <laughs> I would have loved that.
2: <laughs> right. That, that hit me. And I was just like, that does, that accomplishes everything they're trying to do with having 22 walk a day in his shoes but still give Joel uh, control of his uh, body and his agency and all that sort of shit. And the same thing with this movie where I'm just like, it could have worked if she's still a human and Naveen is a frog and she's trying to help him because he promises that he'll give her the money for the restaurant. Like, this movie could still pretty much work as well, if not better, just on a story level, right? Like, putting aside the larger sort of, like, perception issues of this movie. (laughs) But there's this weird thing where they had optioned this book called The Frog Princess that was like a YA early 2000s book that was the take on, oh, it's like a riff on the frog prince. The girl kisses the frog, but rather than the frog becoming a prince, she turns into a frog too. I think that was maybe optioned by Pixar originally. I was trying to track the trail of this, but it was its own independent project. Then Lasseter comes on, says, we're going back to Hand Drawn. And his sort of proposal was like, maybe one out of every three movies will be hand-drawn. But we want to be in the hand-drawn business. We're still doing CGI. but We want to be doing our classic princess musicals. We want to be doing this. And then at some point, like all the things gel where they're like, it's, we're probably overdue to do a, a black princess movie. We want to do a hand-drawn musical. The options exist within the Disney Pixar family for this book. And the princess and the frog or the frog prince or any of those variations of the stories are like one of the sort of classical fairy tales that haven't been touched by Disney yet. So all those things get mushed together. And the problem comes from, as you said, David, it doesn't feel malicious or strategic, but it's like, okay, so you bought the rights to this book that's kind of a clever twist of, oh, no, what if she turns into a frog as well? And then you decide representation matters. We want to make a movie in New Orleans about Southern cooking and jazz music and have an African-American lead character for the first time. Let's combine the two and have her be a frog for 90% of the
0: running time. Yeah. And no, one's, no one said that it would be, uh, it, that- no one had an issue, even when they, they asked Oprah to be a, a consultant. <laughs> <It's> <laughs>
1: you, Oprah, like, wait. Do you
0: have an issue with the full, like, <laughs> two-thirds of this movie where we don't see the black woman?
3: in the- <laughs> do, you, do you think Oprah was like, wait, do you think she should be a frog for that long? And they were like, Oprah, look. We 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 realize this, but it's too late. Like you know, like we're we're, <laughs> yeah. we are, we're halfway through drawing this thing, and we can't turn that boat around. We're just trying to fix things on the side.
2: That's honestly what it feels. I mean, there's that story Dan Harmon tells about being brought in to do rewrites on Kung Fu Panda, and they show him the entire movie on like storyboards. Right, and they're like, we can't change it. You can right. only change thirty percent of it. And he said, "What did that mean?" And you said, "You you can change thirty percent." Of the storyboard cards entirely, you could take thirty percent of them down, replace them with something new, or you could modify thirty percent of what is in each storyboard. Singular, just stuff on the sideline. Isn't that wait? Isn't that Patton Oswalt? Now I can't remember.
0: I who think that both is. of
2: them have done bits about okay. this.
0: It's yeah. possibly it, both. that kills me to even think about. And we right. uh, on for they did something similarly with Soul. Like the movie was almost done before they brought in Kim Powers, who co-wrote and co-directed it. And it's like, it's still, gr- it's great that, that they do stuff like this. Like, it's like, yes, get people, <laughs> please get people involved that can pr- provide a different perspective. Like, please do that. But like now, you know, can you just get them a little bit earlier? Can you just, can you put them in at the top?
2: <laughs> Maybe they're the people who should be formulating these movies in the first place yeah. rather than the people you bring in as like a council at the end. This is the, I mean, but right,
3: but like, right, what's happening here instead is Lester is like, I want to take, you know, you guys took these movies off life support. I'm trying to just bring them back in any way. Clemens and Musk are obviously, you know, the old legends who, you know, started the renaissance. Like, let's bring them in. And then you have Rob Edwards, who worked with them on Treasure Planet on their last movie, co-writing with them. So, you you know, but yes, I mean... Every world in cinema seems so cloistered. Animation seems so cloistered, right? Like the fact that Pixar just now is putting out shorts like Bow, right where it's like, "Oh, look, like a, a person of color worked on this one." You know, like where you're like,
2: they did their first queer short ever on uh, right, Disney Plus. Right. Like they're starting to, right? Uh and now the Bow director's making her own movie, but but yes, it's it's taken so fucking long. James, I'm curious cuz it sounds like you've read a lot of the same like crafting of soul interviews and pieces because i like after watching it was like i really want to try to figure out the gestation of this movie how this came to this shape and i just keep on sort of digging into it to try to figure out some of the story decisions because soul is a movie and moana is like this for me too where i'm like i love this i find this very watchable if i engage with it i find a lot of things problematic in it but the movie as a piece i find very functional and effective and then i have these large kind of issues with them uh, this movie, for me, I, it does not grab me as much uh, to distract me from the issues that I find. But uh, I, I found some Kemp Powers interview recently where he directly said, and I think part of, like, the weird soup of soul is that it's a doctor-created thing, obviously. He's the one bringing it to life. It originally was supposed to be the Joe Gardner character was supposed to be a, an animator, and then he was an actor. They landed on music late. Then it became jazz because it felt like, oh, that's the form that's maybe the easiest to represent, like the sort of like spiritual ether of what we're trying to do, this sort of uh, uh, jazzing that the whole movie ends up being about. Um, and And then Kemp is brought on after they've realized, oh, this character should be black. If if the movie's about a jazz musician in New York City... They came to that
3: last? They had jazz musician before? They were like, oh, yeah. should
2: he be a black guy? Right, so that's the chain of things. They were like, actors too self-involved, animation is too insular because that's our experience. He should be an artist. At a certain point, he was a scientist. Like, they were like, but it's better if it's art because... It's just like your life's passion, I right. guess, right? right? And then so they were like, it
3: should be a jazz musician. Is Dr. John still alive? That was the is thing, right. So then the yeah. last step
2: is... I guess this guy shouldn't be white. Then they bring Kemp Powers on, but that also coincides with Lassiter being ousted and Pete Doctor being placed in charge of Pixar. And so I think Kemp Powers has a lot more authorship over that movie than a lot of co-directors or co-writers brought on late in these films, because I think yeah. Pete Doctor started having a full-time job and it feels like Kemp Powers maybe kind of was running quarterback on the last year of that movie. Mm -hmm. but I read an interview with him where he was addressing the complaint of people being like, why is fucking spies in disguise? He's a pigeon the whole time. Why is princess (laughs) and the frog a
0: frog the whole time? Why is this? I got spies in disguise fully forgot.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Like why are there three of these? Right. And he said like, well, you have to understand it all kind of happened organically. All this story development was done before I came on board this and that piecemeal. When I came on board, I immediately sort of like, pulled the the fire alarm saying like this we have to be very careful about what we're doing here the optics of not having him in his own body aren't great and he was the one who was like i want him to be in the cat's body that was a a camp thing so that way he could be around the whole movie because (laughs) this thing that he revealed in this interview was 22 was supposed to be the lead of the movie until like a year ago the entire film was designed from 22's perspective, <laughs> right? That's like a crazy, so much. <laughs> a crazy thing. It feels like the movie was designed to open in the great beyond focus on 22. And you don't even really deal with Joe until she ends up in that body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's interesting though, to even thinking of, even thinking about like, then it's like, it, it's. Becomes even more confusing if like the movie yeah. was originally supposed to be about twenty two. Then like, then like, why folk? <laughs> I I have so many more questions. I, I agree. Now. There's a lot it's of questions. Like, why focus so much on Joe? Like, what? Like, like, why not? Why not just start? Because one of my issues with with Soul was like, I would have liked to have been in the land of the dead more, or in the the yeah. land of the great before, and like spent more time with that. Like, I feel like Pixar does has so much fun with with their new worlds and, and stuff, but they were kind of like, they kind of did the like bullet points of like, this is the land, this is the great before. All right, we out, we back on earth, you
2: know? Which I, I agree with a hundred percent. And that only makes sense when you realize that's what the movie was supposed to be. And then Kemp Powers came in and is like, you're playing with some volatile elements here. Right. You need to completely <laughs> yeah. reconfigure what you have on the board. You have not thought about the larger takeaway points being made by this movie. Right. I also think,
3: I don't know, like Doctor had literally made his feelings blobs movie. It feels weird that he was like, but what if it's about souls? And I'm like, is that that different from feelings? <laughs> like, how are how you putting all your creative? This is going to take you years to make like it feels too close. Like, especially since, you know, there's thematic threads running through all the movies he's made. But like Monsters, Inc. to Up to inside out it's not like it's like oh you're just repeating yourself you know what i mean like so it's weird i don't know i i'd like to see soul again
2: but i i thought it was you know i thought it was good yeah i i like it a lot i i've seen it twice now but i have these fundamental issues with it uh when when soul got announced i remember talking with you about it david and it was like oh the first time they were announcing a couple original movies it had been so many sequels in a row and then they announced like onward and soul whatever it was, three or four years ago that those movies are eventually coming and they're the a- animated originals at the end of this sequel pipeline. And you were like, that's encouraging that they're announcing new movies, right? And I, the biggest Pixar fan in the world, remember saying to you like, it feels a little bit like self-parody for Pete Doctor to make a movie <laughs> about souls called Soul.
3: It's the Steve Jobsiness, you know, their whole Silicon Valley vibe where, you know, it's like he comes out, he's in his half zip and he's like, you know, we just got to thinking, like, where does a soul come from? And everyone's just like, "Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa are you going to show us
2: the world of souls? But that was like almost verbatim the exact log line when the film was announced. A film that asked the question, what is a soul? What is a soul? Where do our personalities come from? And then Princess and the Frog is kind of like the exact opposite, where it's just like a lot of elements, right? There are a lot of elements that you can understand them getting excited about. And going, like, let's put them all together in this box without necessarily a larger overarching idea or vision. And it's, you know, Musker and Clements are like the old masters at this point within the system. Lasseter hires them back is like, we're starting up hand-drawn. If someone's going to be making a hand-drawn movie, it should be these two guys. But to your point, it's like, if this is the story you're landing on, then maybe it shouldn't be these two guys. Whereas I I agree with that. I agree I
3: li- and again, I will watch Soul again in a year or two. Maybe we do Doctor one day. It's four mm-hmm. movies. Like he's one of the most prominent Pixar auteurs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously. Um but I agree with everything being said. And I preferred Onward, which I guess is a, a hot take, I guess, yeah. but I like
2: Onward a lot. And I think Onward is underrated. I agree with that. James, this opens up a question I realize we should throw to you in general. What is your sort of general relationship to Disney movies and especially this sort of Disney Renaissance era? We're all roughly the same age. Yeah. I feel like we've, we've had guests on for this miniseries that are all roughly our age. And it is hard to like extricate our generation from what these movies represented at different points in time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I started not really. I, oh, grew, I grew up uh with like the disney vhs's so we had we had a ton uh we had like uh peter pan and and aladdin and Beauty the beast and like we had like all of those movies at 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 home um and then like i like prince and the frog obviously I i did not see until like way later and got got into pixar but there and the disney pixar regime but like there's a handful of like of of like big ones that I just I haven't seen. Like I like if you would be like, have you seen this? And I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. Uh but like Fighting Nemo and like Finding Nemo and like Monsters Inc. are like my jam. Yeah like, my best. I I friggin love them. Uh
2: yeah. perfect movies. Um yeah, I also you you were slightly more of a Nickelodeon kid, were you not? I know you were a big Nick
0: kid. Yeah, yeah. I was a big big, big Nickelodeon kid. Um, I didn't have like Disney Channel, so like I wasn't, I didn't like super buy into Disney. I went to Disney World though, and and land as a kid and loved both of the like like still ch- like wide eyed kid and and experienced both of those places and loved that. But.
2: We were talking about this on some episode we recorded recently. Maybe it was our Return of Jafar episode, but that I my family had Disney Channel in those early days. I mean, obviously it wasn't the beginning, but, but before they became basic cable when they were still pay cable and it was seen as like a forbidden fruit thing. And I remember being so excited when my dad was like, we have added the Disney channel to the cable bill. And I watched it all the time, but they had so little Disney on the Disney channel at that point in time, the (laughs) Disney channel at that point was such a weird channel because they still were like, we could make more money licensing these things out to bigger (laughs) channels that more people watch.
0: I, I, my only memory of early Disney, cause I, ne- we, I, I, until it was like a part of most cable packages, yeah. I I never had it, but like, I remember, like, I feel like, um, oh, but even like goof troop was like not on Disney channel. That was like on like Fox and stuff. Right. That was
2: the thing, like all those shows would be on like ABC, CBS, Fox, and then they would rerun on Disney Channel or like the one that had gotten canceled two years earlier was still in rotation on Disney Channel. Like those early 90s cartoons would still play on Disney Channel. But I think it's like 97 is when Disney Channel becomes part of a basic cable bundle and they start doing the original movies and Disney Channel becomes what people think of as Disney Channel.
3: Right. A whole generation that I missed out on. Like, cause like, you know, if there are people five years younger than me who are like, oh my God, my favorite Disney Channel original movie is like, you know, Sarah in Paris. Wait, that yeah. just sounds like the Netflix show. But you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, or it's just like, you're just like, wait, what is that? I've never heard of that. And they're like, it was on Disney. Yeah. My wife loves Brink.
2: Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. a Great example. Great example. Right. Right. Like, and I'm, I'm a couple years younger than you guys. I don't know if your wife and I are the same age, but I think that's literally the difference of like Brink was like the second or third Disney Channel original movie. Like I was still in at that point, you know, for the first couple of them. But Disney Channel now represents something entirely different. And at the time that we were growing up, Nickelodeon had such a clear brand identity. There was such a thing to get into. And it's not just their programming, but there was the whole sort of like philosophical thing of like, fuck you parents get out of here i'm playing with boogers yes the kids have taken over the programming
0: yes yes slime man come on i just watched a documentary about early nickelodeon and that literally was there they were like (laughs) everyone sat in a room and they were like yeah we want to say fuck you to the parents right and i i would say i would argue that nickelodeon has lost that that edge now like they're not quite as like Fuck you, parents! As no, they, as no, they used to be, but that was a great. That was a great time.
2: They used to be antipa. They used to be anti-parents. <laughs> <laughs> but it did feel like it was like it was organized in that kind of way. Like every commercial on Nickelodeon was like, "While they're out of the room, we must plan. You can trust no adult. <laughs> Put shaving cream in their slippers. Tell them to go suck a lemon. Parents fucking suck." Uh. Even just you remember how aggro the the Nickelodeon magazine commercials were about how you just had to pester your parents to get you a Nickelodeon magazine subscription until they broke down psychologically. (laughs) (laughs) It was like advanced interrogation techniques. Right. There was those commercials right where it's like, yeah,
3: listen up. Here's the strategy. Here's how you like put your parents' mind in a box,
2: basically,
0: and then you (laughs) shake it. They're not the boss of you. You're the boss. You you rule everything,
2: kid. Your, your dad is a fucking bug. You can own him. <laughs> Listen to me. I am your god. I am Gak. In the 70s, it's like kids don't exist.
3: We have no idea what those are. We don't make programming for them. In the 80s, it's like, kids buy toys the programming should just be toys moving around and then right. the kids will want to buy the toy by the 90s they're like kids are basically have credit cards yeah. like
2: we need to treat them as an entirely independent demographic and this is also it's a political movement now this is an right. ideological <laughs> stance and and as right and in contrast to that disney is just like it feels like Movies made by parents who are like, come on, trust us. I, I know we're parents, but the movie's going to be fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Disney
3: was never going to be cool. It's never going to be cool. Disney is not cool. If anything, Disney is the coolest it is now in that weird, creepy way where it's become like a lifestyle for people. It's a little, you know, much but to, to handle. But yeah, Disney will never be cool. Cool. It's not. No.
2: They also – this is the Disney Channel shift I think that really takes hold in the early 2000s where they start like engaging with uh, teen sexuality. They start being like we're going to make things about like kids dating each other and crushes and singing to each other and we're going to create like teen idols, you know, which was a thing they had sort of not done since the Mickey Mouse Club.
3: Lizzie McGuire, sort of. She's she's the dawn of a new era for Disney. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. because she's right. She's like, is she? She's like a teenager. She's a a young teenager, but still, right. It's it's. Whereas, like in the nineties, if you wanted that, you had to be on Nickelodeon. You had to be watching Clarissa and and you know all that stuff.
2: But but I mean, to the point of what you were saying earlier, James. It is funny that like, I mean, watching it now, I get it because now we've gone longer without a movie like this like now it's actually been 11 years since they've taken a stab at making this kind of film i think the only other major hand-drawn movie they did after this was the winnie the pooh movie which quietly slaps is so fucking yeah, good
0: i didn't see it but i remember being like all every movie that i feel like when this movie came out and when and when uh Princess and the frog came out it was like mm-hmm we haven't done this <laughs> like yeah this is gonna well this is gonna get you right in the fields of your memory like <laughs> and i and i didn't see it because of the fanfare like it was, it was so like yeah winnie the pooh's back you guys and i was like all yeah. right.
2: i also have not seen it. it it's so good but it also felt like their whole marketing campaign was like you were saying like Guys, this movie is so short and inconsequential. It's the kind of thing that Disney used to make. Like, you it's, don't even need to come. Right? It's, <laughs> don't come. It's, it's so charming that film, but it also is like designed to be a non-event. It's sixty-two minutes. It's just got three loosely connected episodes. Like, it's just good. It's funny. It's got good gags and shit. But uh, yeah, it was uh, like designed to be a minor film. Whereas this movie was all about like. This is important. We need this as a culture. We have to bring this back. And it does, like, get to you. It is weird. I mean, the movie starts, and, and like what you were saying at the beginning of the episode, James, you watch it, and you're like, fuck, I didn't realize I missed this.
0: Yeah, I, like, there's something about the diction, <laughs> like, the, the diction of the voice actors. And you're just like, that sounds, I don't hear that sound in anything else. <laughs> like, I hear it in this. The way that they move, like, the way that she cuts the ribbon in the beginning is, like, such a Disney... I'm not looking at the ribbon, but I'm cutting it, like, it's so... It's so posy, yeah. Everything about, yeah, the everything about it just is, like, trying to be, like... And it feels like this movie in particular is, like, we should have had a black princess earlier. Like, so... We're going to make it feel as like, like this was actually just in the archives this whole time. Like,
2: that, that's the thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way about it is this feeling of like, we know and we also think we should have done it earlier. <laughs> yeah. Like that the movie is saying, honestly, I agree
0: with you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. When they cut to when they cut to the, the Southern Belle as a kid. Yes, When we first see her, like, fully dolled up and, like, all excited. And they're like, the story's about her. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, wasn't this dumb that we did this for so yeah. long? <laughs> yeah, Look, see, we're making fun of it now. <laughs>
2: That's the character that feels so Disney to me. Like, whatever it is, it's like the third shot of the entire movie. I mean, you see the, like, cityscape or whatever. And then when they go inside to them hearing the story, and it's Tiana... And the buffoo girl, or whatever her name is, both like <laughs> leaning forward on their hands, like rapt attention. Her name is Lottie. Just What's her last just FYI. name? FYI. Uh,
3: it's La- LaBouffe, isn't it? LaBeouf. Isn't it that the yes. yeah, LaBouffe? Yeah. Big Daddy um, LaBouffe is her daddy.
2: But just the way they animate these two little girls in princess dresses, leaning forward, listening to a fairy tale, I was like, this is just the most Disney animation shit of yeah, all time. Absolutely. <laughs> in a way that like hits me. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm ready for this. I mean, Griffin,
3: I'm I've been looking at the best animated feature nominees post, Mm -hmm. you know, of of this last decade. And for like how many American 2D films have even been made like period, not Disney anywhere is the only one I
2: can see is Klaus Klaus.
0: Right.
3: uh,
2: Right. I mean, I could tell you some that haven't been nominated, but they're mostly Like
3: like seriously, like genuinely.
2: Things like, uh, uh, you know, the the two Spongebob movies. I mean, they're almost right, entirely sure, right. TV show adaptations. It TV, right, right, like right. Like the right. My Little Pony movie. It's like shit like that, right? It's, it's just TV continuations. In terms of original, I don't think there are really any. Uh, certainly going theatrical, because like Claws, I love, but went to Netflix.
3: It did, but it was at least, you know, that's at least a feature, right? But like, you know, you see in these ten, last 10 years, there's like stuff like the illusionist you know like european stuff there's obviously miyazaki the ghibli movies like there's things like you know it's not like it's a dead 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 medium but it's just not coming from america right you know obviously and there's the, the great uh cartoon saloon stuff right you know uh, uh song of the sea yeah all that stuff wolf walkers this year yeah
2: no they it always feels like you expect that every year it's going to be like Two to three CGI movies, maybe one stop-motion film, and then one film that has to function as both the representative for overseas animation and for hand-drawn. Right, right, exactly. And, and otherwise, if a studio is making a big theatrically released uh, uh, 2D film in the States, it's almost always because that's the style of the TV show that it's based on.
3: Just a bit of a bummer, just in general. It's and This is kind of the last one, Like, and maybe it's the last one forever, although... I do feel like with Hollywood, everything new, old is new again. Like, you know, I'm sure someone will come along and be like, well, don't we miss that? Like, let's do it. You know, like that. Surely that will happen again at some point. Right.
0: And it'll hit kids. Kids will be like, I've never (laughs) seen anything like this.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right.
3: Right. I've never seen this
0: on the it's big. It's on the big screen. It
2: feels like that's sort of maybe what Netflix is trying to do. I mean, Claws, they did not develop. They acquired while it was in development, but it was not something uh, birthed by them, or at least uh, it wasn't their genesis. Um, but that movie, I think, is really good uh, and, and, and uses CGI to augment the 2D in a really interesting, smart way that gives it its own unique look, but it is fundamentally a 2D film.
3: That movie is like English-Spanish, right? It was directed by a Spanish yes. guy. So it's, even yep. that movie is not entirely yeah. you know, uh, American either.
2: But then they did that one this year or last year, Over the Moon, that Glenn Keane directed, who's like mm-hmm. legendary mm-hmm. Disney animator. That's a Chinese fable that was co-produced by them in Pearl Studios, which used to be DreamWorks China, but then DreamWorks sold it off into its own company. And that was sort of created by Netflix in-house. I mean, they developed that from the beginning, and Glenn Keane was a big hire they took away from Disney to say, you should be helping run our animation department. And it feels like they've been making a lot of announcements. They've been making a lot of big hires. There's a lot of things they haven't announced in terms of specific projects. But it feels to me like Netflix strategically is maybe trying to exploit that gap. That hole in the culture.
3: Yeah. It just in general also that like there's an animation. You can make more animation. It's very popular in general. Like, yeah, 3D, 2D, whatever. Right. But uh, as you as we sort of said for context, we should get into the movie itself, obviously. But right. You know, Lasseter brings them in. Uh, apparently, New Orleans is his favorite city. Did you know this? This is part of
2: the. I didn't, but it's 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 frustratingly on brand. It just <laughs> <laughs> he loves to party, <laughs> right? New Orleans is his favorite city in the same way that Hawaiian is his favorite shirt. You know, it's uh, like I I get it. I understand what you like about this city, John.
3: <laughs> um, uh, Oprah Winfrey, of course, hired as a technical consultant, uh, as you said, based on both the Frog Princess. Uh, the Prague Prince story, but also this like YA book from the early two thousands that I think you're right, Pixar had been working on yeah. or something.
2: But they don't even. I mean, they, I they bought the rights from her. She got paid. I don't even think there's any sort of proper story credit for the movie. It's like she got paid a lot of money for them to use nothing other than the hook of the girl becomes a frog too.
3: Yeah, I don't know. You know, Wikipedia lists it, but yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing it like in the credits or no. anything like that. No. And it's got uh, Anika Noni Rose. She's she had just done Dream Girls. She's obviously like a big Broadway
2: figure. This is actually a good point. Uh, James, you were saying how different the voice acting is in this movie. This is them consciously sort of like running back the dial to what Disney was doing in the 90s of mostly cast Broadway actors. Right, not not big celebs. Yeah, I mean, you know. Right, cast Broadway actors, cast veteran yeah. voice actors, and maybe a couple of character actors with interesting voices, right? But it's like, your leads are pretty much Broadway actors. Then you right. have like Jim Cummings and Kevin Michael Richardson who are just animation vets playing the key supporting parts. And then it's like, oh, you'll sprinkle in like Keith David and John Goodman, right,
0: and like Oprah plays that is the mom,
2: yeah,
3: right. Uh, Keith David's um a voice legend in yeah. his own right, of course. He's
2: and same with Goodman. I mean, right. A lot of the people in this movie who are also live action actors are either primarily Broadway performers or have done so much animation that it qualifies as an entire second career for them. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I didn't even hate like Terrence Howard being like you know all smooth and whatever like it's like yeah cool her dad's super smooth this is fine it's also good
2: casting like he's got a fucking good voice he's only gonna be in the movie for five minutes like make him stick out in our minds
3: uh jennifer lewis obviously who is another broadway legend yeah you know been in everything and is giving a performance oh
2: yeah i i enjoy it
0: oh come on it's a performance
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i looked at i looked up the cast before i started watching the movie. I started watching the movie, and then when Mama Odie came on screen, I went, who is playing this? Even though I had just looked up, I went, this can't be Jennifer Lewis. So
3: the plot of the movie, she's not really a princess, much like many a modern Disney princess, much like Mulan, like all these characters that they, you know, dub princesses. Yeah, uh, I guess it's those two are the, the most egregious. They have, you know, they're not princesses. They're regular people. Yes. But uh, Tiana is a she's a, a waitress. She lives in New Orleans. Uh, her best friend is a local rich girl and she wants to own a business as her dad wanted to do. And he's dead. That's the uh, that's the that's that's where we're starting, Griffin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like her a lot as a character. I, I'm I'm most engaged in this movie for the first whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes.
3: When she's like doing the waitressing, she's like juggling all the, the dishes around and all that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it is like you talk about this movie trying to get back to like, oh, the way the Disney movies used to feel. I, I was thinking while watching this, it's like, you know, the the princess movies, the musicals, the fairy tales, they are usually uh, you know, period pieces set in a very specific culture or a fictionalized version of a culture working off a tale that we've all heard a thousand times putting some specific genre into it, right? The contemporary Disney animated films, and I know this movie is set in the early 1900s, but in the span of Disney animated films, I think anything that's in the 20th century counts as contemporary. Certainly, yes. The contemporary Disney animated movies are almost all the animal movies, right? Like the ones that are more modern Our Lady and the Tramp and 101 Dalmatians and Rescuers. Those are the ones that take place in like a modern civilization and they're talking animals who see the world differently because they're not really in the world of men. And this movie is weirdly, it's like, it's bizarre. You're like, oh, this is odd to hear a Randy Newman score, which feels more modern, to see Tiana existing in like a modern city, to be like trying to build up money to buy a business and not be like concerned with the decrees of the king and shit. And you're like, this feels like something new. This is them taking a step forward. And then it just slips kind of into animal movie. And I immediately, there's just a deflation for me once they become like frogs on a river. Uh, James, what do you think? Part of it is I really like
3: frogs. Frog is my favorite animal. Interesting. You mean to eat? I do like to eat a frog. I will say that. Yes. I love Uh, frogs
0: too. I've never eaten frog, but. Um, I love frogs as well. I, 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 I'm with Griffin in that it does deflate for me. What the second she becomes a, a frog too, like, and I, and I did, I feel like I did this the first time I watched it, which was, I always, ch- you know, check the time to see like, Oh, how long has it been? And I was deceived this time because I got so wrapped up in, in, in her being like her, what she was going through before she turns into a frog. that I was like, wow, I don't, rem- I didn't remember it being this long. And it's like, not long. It's just under, it's less than 30 minutes before she turns into a frog. It's like 2950 or something, I think is the exact moment when she, when she shifts into a, into a frog. And I don't know. It just feels like, It's like, what even is happening now that she's a, like, it's now just all she wants to do is, like, not be a frog so that she can, you know, I don't know. And we're going to see them fall in love over the course of an hour, like.
2: Yeah. Right. Once she's a frog, the conflict becomes, can I get back to the movie I was doing beforehand? And the problem (laughs) is, as an audience, you're like, yeah, I preferred that movie too. Here's the thing. I agree that the central metaphor
3: of their froghood is not really clear for him. I guess it's a little more like he needs to be humbled. He's a, you know, jerky, uh, rich kid, right? Like I, I I get his part a little bit more, but she's just kind of like, I don't want to be a frog. Like let, let me get out of this frog. now. I enjoy journeying through the swamps and meeting fireflies and crocodiles and, and all that, uh, just fine. Like I don't mind the, the change in milieu, but I don't, like, uh, if you're thinking of the, the classic Disney transformation uh, movies, right? Like uh, Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. or, or even uh, uh, what else? What else do we got? Come on. Yeah, you know, there, there's like a few words. the sort yeah, of, Beauty Grew, and the Beast, right? The the Beast. Na- right, right. Right. Like, you know, there's a huge lesson that has to be learned.
2: I guess she, what does she have to figure out? That, the, like, look, th- this is my single biggest problem with the movie. These are the two biggest failings for me. Okay. And they become pretty fatal flaws. One. I do not at any point buy that there is a lesson that Tiana needs to learn <laughs> and that she learns it. I don't think this film ever convinces me that she has a character flaw that needs to be resolved that is somehow happens through her experience being a frog. I think she's a a pretty fucking good well-adjusted person. I like her. She's responsible. She's got good priorities.
0: And they should they shoot themselves in the foot too because like it could be that she could she could like not have such a strong reliance on the fairy tales and the and the ma- and the magic and the mysticism of that. Like but like but in the beginning they're like, you can't just wish on a star. You have to have hard work. And she immediately takes that in and is just like, okay, I don't believe in the mythology of these stories. I'm gonna I'm gonna make my own way. And then she suddenly gets thrusted into one and it's like none of the ma- none of the magic works still, but like she has no reason to think that it would <laughs> look like- There's nothing there, and
2: at that point, it it doesn't feel like her learning a lesson. It feels like this movie is just being cruel to her. You fucking, (laughs) you knocked this these fairy tales out of her brain and told her to fucking grow up and care about the real world. And the second she got her shit together, they were like, "Never mind, Jinx, you're in a fairy tale. (laughs) You're in a fairy tale."
3: But that, yes, that is that's the arc. The arc is that she needs to not just worry about you know being this great success and fulfilling this dream that she's had with her father and her, right? Like, it's like, no, like you should make time for fun and for silliness and for kissing frogs and like,
2: uh, living your life beyond your career.
0: And it took being a frog to do
2: that. (laughs) Of course. That was the only way she was ever going to learn. Soul does a much better job of that exact same story idea. Oh, the guy follows his passion to the sacrifice of everything else in his life. He needs to slow down.
3: Yeah, but no one kisses in Soul. There's no kissing. There's no romance
2: between cute little cartoon frogs. That's why David likes this movie. David (laughs) loves kissing.
3: I like this movie because it has two little frogs that need to fall in love. They're little
2: frog guys. I like frogs Okay, and I like kissing Can I and they th- figure it out. Can I throw out my second fatal flaw in this movie? Yes. I don't buy that Tiana has a lesson she needs to learn and that she learns it is A and B I don't buy that she ever falls in love with Naveen.
3: I don't know. He's pretty cute though. Naveen Prince Naveen of Maldonia. Griffin!
0: Maldonia! I agree because like she even as the movie's going on, she like when 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 she learns that she wants to marry him and she's like, Oh my god, she wants to marry her, he wants to marry her. Yeah. And she goes, Oh my god, thank goodness. You're like, what? <laughs> like, when did that happen? When did the when scene did happen? You fall in love with him <laughs> because right. I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all.
2: And and this is another staple of these types of movies, right? Where you have like the guy who's either so brutish and rude, like Shrek or Beast or the guy who's so vain and caught up in his own stuff, and it's only through them being stuck together on an adventure together that she finally breaks through and sees the real him, right?
3: Right. Same with Tangled, too. Stuff coming later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right.
2: Right. It's all an act. You know, it's a defensive thing. You find out who they really are. Zootopia, a later
3: uh, Disney film, obviously. Right.
2: Although a movie that I appreciate for being aromantic, but their buddy duo is very much based on that dynamic. Yes. Nonetheless,
3: right. Like, he, you know, she's he's the charming rogue. She's the straight arrow. They're going to break each other's walls down, yada, yada, yada.
2: I agree with you, James. I had that exact same moment when she goes, oh, thank God, he does love me. I went, where did the scene go? <laughs> yeah. Where she starts liking him. I guess one of those scenes was supposed to represent that, but but it just doesn't feel like they really sell that to me.
0: Yeah. and And part of the problem is uh, the frog faces aren't super expressive because I do feel like there's that moment when he's like, I love uh, how excited you are about your dream. And, and we do, we get two, two looks from Tiana as a frog. And one of them is like, what do you love? And then the other one is, and and, he, and when he says my, your dream, but, but we know that he's like covering up, it does not read, like it doesn't read that it's something more than that. And it's because the fr- I think the frog faces are just a little too <laughs> pared down, a little n- not as expressive as they could be. And, you know,
2: I like the frog face. James, I fully agree. I, we've gotten to the central conflict of this episode. We've identified it. This is a movie about kissing frogs. And <laughs> David is yeah. always going to be in the tank for that. You and I are less innately drawn to frogs, James, than David is. Here, here's my here's my larger point.
3: Here's my larger point. Yeah. No, uh. Beyond, beyond this movie you, now. Tangled has a romance. I think mm-hmm. the romance is the least interesting part of Tangled. I think it, it does works. have a romance. It's
2: not my favorite part, but it's, I think it works. It's fine. But I don't. I don't like Flynn Rider very. much. I like him. I think he's good. It's the only Zachary Levi performance I like. Go on. <laughs> That's crazy.
3: No, you like Shazam. Now you have to admit it.
2: You 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 like it.
0: Yeah, come on. Shazam's pretty great. <laughs> oh, I love Shazam.
2: I, I, It is almost a testament to Shazam. I think he's doing the bare minimum <laughs> to make that movie work and the, everything else in the movie is firing on all cylinders. But
3: post-Tangled and the, mm-hmm. Disney is now is just resistant to romance. Yeah. it's, um, And I think it's partly born out of the fact that the Disney princess story arc is very regressive mm-hmm. and the old you know, narrative trope of like, you need to find your Prince Charming and at the end, you're going to get married is
2: something they wanted to leave behind. Or, or he needs to find you. You need to sit around and wait for him to find you. Yeah.
3: You know, and like your reward is this, right? Like I understand that they wanted to dispense with that. So even when they bring back the princess stories with frozen, they, consciously avoid romance you know you got anna and christoph mucking up a little bit but like the whole point of frozen is it's about the sisters and their connection and that's what saves the day at the end right mm-hmm. and zootopia like you say like it's got that like you know moonlighting sitcom energy but right. it's not a romance like, moana doesn't have a romance it's so uh, pointedly
2: a romantic
3: yeah the ralph movies lack romance um uh, Frozen 2 finally lets Anna and Kristoff kiss, you know, you know, thank God. But it doesn't look like Raya and the Last Dragon's going to have a romance. Like, I don't object to this entirely. I just think, that, like, give me a little, you know, once in a while. Come on. Sure. I, I, I miss it. It's been so long since we've had kissing in Disney movies. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's really cute that he makes a He minces a dinner for her. You know, that's I loved that. I thought that was really cute.
2: That's that's the closest they come to having like chemistry in frog form. I feel like in terms of setting that up, but I still think it's missing a beat. Yeah, because
0: even in that scene, it's like, yeah, good. He tried to do a thing like (laughs) it's not not that. She didn't need anything from him. (laughs) No, no, which is which is the other
2: reason I think the movie probably works better if she stays a human the whole time. Like somehow I think the story because the movie at the end tries to get back to this idea of like, well, my father wasn't didn't have everything he wanted, but he had everything he needed. Right. She has this realization that the love in the family is the thing that matters most of all. And her father was rich in love or whatever, which it, it does not seem to be. That woven into the rest of the film, right? Um, but, but also, it's like, well, she's stuck with Naveen because they're both in this shitty situation together. Whereas, if it had been a little more of a Zootopia thing where it's like, look, I don't like you, but you're telling me if I can figure out how to make you human again, you'll give me the money for my restaurant? Okay, we're uneasy allies, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus they're just united because they're both fucked.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think they can't
3: have one of them be a frog and the other one not be a frog because then she'd be falling in love with a frog as a human and maybe Disney was just like no we yeah. can't
0: do that. Yeah, but they they did Beauty and the Beast. We could do it again. We could do it again. <laughs> I was going to say, yes. Yeah. And also
2: it's it's just once again, it's like Naveen gets turned to a frog because he goes to fucking Facilier who tricks him, but also because he's like fucking flighty and like looking for easy life hacks and shit. His just reward. Yes, right. right exactly. Tia has done nothing wrong.
3: <laughs> well, that's fine. I think another reason I like this movie is that I am someone who often, as Griffin can attest, encourages people to. Set things aside in the name of romance a little bit, right? Like, oh, come on, throw caution to the wind, right? Like, I'm a little bit yeah. like that, right? Yeah, kiss. Yeah, uh, you know. And just to, we we're talking about the movie, but like as you said, right? Uh, um, prince Naveen, the the penniless but handsome prince, uh, gets turned into a frog by the shadow man, Doctor Facilier, played by Keith David. Okay, he runs into Tiana. She's dressed like a princess for a costume party. Uh, she kisses him. Turns into a frog Now they're both frogs Now they gotta go in the bayou And figure out their situation And they meet As we mentioned uh, Mama Odie Played by Jennifer Lewis A 200 year old voodoo priestess Who is essentially the movie's Like fairy godmother Right? She's the one They're going to her They're like Can you help us out of this situation? She's the fairy godmother But
2: she's also like Yoda
3: She's a little Yoda, e sure, right? And that she's small and old and Wacky, silly, and, right? Right, yes, and dancing around and cooking things, and yes,
2: that's... plays she, with snakes.
3: She
0: has a staff, right? Doesn't she? When she first walks out, I, I can't. yeah,
2: she's hitting things with sticks. Yeah, and it's basically her.
3: She is me in that these two people come to her door and they're like, "We don't know what the fuck to do. We're hanging out all the time." It's, it, I, you know, we're making each other crazy. We want to be rid of this situation. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, you know what you need to do, right? And they're like, yes, what we need to do is be rid of this situation and go back to doing the normal things that we were doing. And she's like, you don't get it at all what you need to do is kiss that's what you need to do yeah. and they don't get that they'll figure it out
0: it was really funny when when the song ended and they ask like do you know did you get it and she and she says like oh i have to raise the money." whatever the thing is that she says and then Ray's like okay we gotta sing the song again one two three i th- that kind of joke gets me every time. every time <laughs> well, every literally. time Get the, get, the, get the trombones out. Let's do it again. Like, I love that.
2: The one I was thinking of that's my favorite version of that joke is in Muppet Treasure Island where they do the Cabin Fever number and then it cuts down to, like, the barracks where the few pirates are being kept. And they were like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you missed it. It was a whole musical number. And then they start telling them, like, singing it again. Uh, yes, that joke always fucking gets me. When a musical number ends and the characters go like, that was a good musical number, I still want to be singing.
3: Um. So. Yeah, like, and this is a movie where everyone is in some kind of debt, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Naveen, he has no money. His parents have kicked him out because he's such a scoundrel. Tiana is trying to raise money for her thing. Doctor Facilier literally owes like a magic debt to voodoo gods. That's why he's like, d- d- right? He's doing the thing he's doing, mm-hmm. and like, it, you just, you just got a kiss, and, and
2: you're gonna figure it out together. Like, strength in numbers, people. Like this, it's, it's a beautiful thing princess and the frog i always knew you liked this movie more than i did i didn't realize this movie was the purest distillation of your heart song
3: (laughs) i i just really like yeah that's like i just love the message of that scene where she's like don't you realize you're in a disney movie that's what you're doing right now you got you should you guys should get together and Tiana's like, if I take out a bridge loan, I heard Bank of America has good <laughs> interest. For, you know what I mean? Like she's. And but all- I also
2: sure. I just don't think. Look, I think they avoided it because it felt like oh, like cliche wrote to do all the story blocks, and also they want to not shame her for being an independent, strong minded business oriented woman, but I think that's part of the conundrum this movie gets itself into where it's like they want to be supportive of her dreams and her progress and the way she's built her life at the beginning, but then they're also trying to argue that there's something lacking from her life yeah you
0: don't need a man but you need a man girl like it's right, like because <laughs> there's
2: nothing There's no moment in the first 30 minutes where you get the cliched, like, she goes home and then she's just lonely, eating a can of soup, you know, above a dinner alone. Right, exactly. Right. right. There's no scene of her rejecting a bunch of boys who like her a lot, you know? It's just like, I don't know, she seems pretty okay. She's pretty good. This is the whole problem. This is the needle they can't thread, where they're like, well,
3: what can we do a romance without it feeling didactic? And it feels like they're like, I guess not. Let's not do it. And I love Moana, and we're going to talk about Moana. But I do think Moana slightly struggles from her being a little too together when the movie starts. Like, And that's sort of my problem with the 2010s Disney thing. These characters are two together.
2: We'll get to it. I mean, I have my whole Moana take on that, but we'll get to it. Yes. yes. Fair enough. But sure. I mean, like, you know, Frozen,
3: uh, you know, uh, is the one that figures that out the best. I just my problem with Frozen is how it looks. I just don't love how it looks like. I don't, I don't mind the, the whole sort of narrative arc of um, Elsa. Like, I, I dig that by and large.
2: The the tangled the tangled frozen thing I like is I feel like they have figured out how to replicate the Disney art style in 3 dimensions. Even if you prefer it hand drawn, it it it's got the right shapes. It's got the right stylings. It's got the right lines. It's got the right movements. Tangled
3: is better to me because I like the colors more. The in in Frozen they're so, like, if I drop them, they just shatter is how yes. it always feels. You know, they're just <laughs> Too so, they're delicate. so pale, yeah, and doll-like, yeah. Well,
2: that's the problem. When they're in three dimensions, they all look like like really bespoke porcelain dolls. You become very aware of the physics of that head is huge and that waist is tiny, you know? And those wrists are like toothpicks. Um, the thing I was going to say, I think Tangled is the one that solves that problem the best, I I think I agree that the romance is not my favorite aspect of it, but I think it does it well enough, at least goes through the basic motions. But I also think Tangled has the right balance of kind of she thinks she's an independent, strong minded woman who knows what to do but also she's lived in a tower her entire life. She doesn't understand how anything works. So I feel like the movie lets her feel confident about herself while also creating comedy out of the fact that her misunderstanding of the world around her is sometimes that she thinks things are more dangerous than they are, and sometimes she doesn't recognize the danger, and there's a lot of versatility in how she can behave. This movie just, as you said, backs itself into a corner where they don't want to shame anything about Tiana's life Before she turns into a frog. And then once she's a frog, they have to argue suddenly that she was missing something earlier.
3: It's the Moana problem that I just mentioned. It's the same thing where they're just like they build her up so much, which is good in that she's this pretty lovable and interesting and put together character from minute one. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, right, well, then what do we do with this? Like, we're we're not going to do a movie about someone opening a business. Like, come on, you know, like, right. You know, they like you said, they back themselves into a corner.
2: Remind me, we'll come back to that at the end of the episode. Let's, let's talk about some of the supporting characters. Let's talk about uh, Lewis and Ray and Facilier, because they're like, they're the color in this movie.
0: I love <laughs> all of these characters so much. I love them so much.
3: I, I watch their songs a lot, like on
2: YouTube or whatever. Like
3: the their they I go to their song.
2: It is funny that Ray probably sings more in this movie than Tiana does.
0: Yeah, I was there was a point where I don't think I realized this on on my first watch, but there was a point this time where I was like Ray singing again, <laughs> like, again. I couldn't believe it's it. another Ray solo. <laughs> he's got a good arc. We had a, a minute has passed and he's singing again. <laughs> okay, Ray's got two <laughs> I
2: want songs. <laughs>
3: Ben, 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 Ben. Wait, you haven't really weighed in, Ben. What's your take on Princess and the Frog? I just Ray is the character that feels very Ben-friendly. Off mic, you've
2: been hyping Ray up to Ben for the last two months. (laughs) Saying, Ben, you're going to like this guy.
1: And I did. I loved Ray. (laughs) Yeah. He's cool. I think Ray is like my kind of guy. He stuck out. But I just watched this movie for the first time. And it just was like What is happening um, Sure right she's a frog In a lot right. of different yeah. ways just like this is wild um, A lot of stuff I liked, Yeah a lot of Stuff just like uh, Alligator that plays trumpet But that talks to humans My favorite he character does. Yeah good character All about him he's a great character It's so like and then But then the payoff imagine Going to a restaurant and a alligator is playing trumpet while you're eating dinner (laughs) you'd be like only in normans baby yeah (laughs) could you imagine oh my god See, see like little things like that are really cool but overall i i was very perplexed by it i i think louis is so
2: funny i think uh uh why am i forgetting his name now eric goldberg who was the main animator on genie is the one who was the main animator on Louie, and he's got the like all the fun Disney comedy character energy, the physicality, great voice yes. performance. Yeah, and I just love his his fucking uh, conflict of just all he wants to do is play jazz for humans, and he's a terrifying
0: alligator. I have had this image stuck in my head for since the first time I saw this movie, which I think was a few years ago. But um, but when he play when he plays on the the, the boat and then jumps off, and then all of the rifles come out of the That's so crazy. There's so many rifles. It's so funny. I
2: remind, I remember being so underwhelmed by this movie in theaters and just exploding when that happened. Like, I was like, I don't remember the last time I laughed that hard at anything. The entire setup and timing of that is so exquisite of just well, why don't you do it? I tried once, didn't work out well. You're not expecting a cut to, right? That is not in the common vernacular of these movies. It's so not on Disney where it's like, well,
3: have you ever tried it? And you're like, we're going to move on. I assume we're just about, and he's like, well, and you're like, wait, (laughs) we're doing a family guy style cutaway. And then it works. And then it has, like, it would be funny if he just jumped on the boat, played the trumpet, And they and then jumped off like that would be funny. It would not be seismic. It would
2: be would be would be hilarious if it was that same lockdown shot. Everyone's playing on the boat. He climbs over the side looking sneakily, proudly starts playing the trumpet. Everyone looks at him aghast. That would be funny, right? It's the timing. It's the rhythm of it. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's the timing. It's the fact that he's like, I know they won't like that I'm a crocodile, but yeah. surely once <laughs> I start playing right. this trumpet, <laughs> he like... thinks he can win
2: them over. And the fact that they don't immediately like run off in revulsion, that they're just stunned silent watching him. But then once he jumps back into the water and the guns come out, well, it becomes.
1: Hold on. Wouldn't you, Griffin? Wh- yes. Wouldn't you yes! be astounded? Yes! Yes, you'd stop for one minute at least. Yes,
2: I would. I'm not I'm not questioning. I'm saying it's funny and good. I like it.
0: Yeah. But yeah. everyone on the boat had a rifle yes. and people on other levels had like he wasn't even on those other levels. <laughs> Why did someone on every level come out and try to shoot this Oh, they,
2: they're ringing the croc bell. Everyone, please yeah, get yeah. your
0: croc guns out. Just, just the deeper
3: thing of like, where it's like, he's a crocodile who loves jazz. And they're like, well, how do you know about jazz? Like, yeah. And he's like, well, the river boats. He's an alligator. I'm sorry. I always confuse yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, But the river boats are always going by, and all the legends have played on that. And I hear that, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I love yeah, that. That's, that's great. Cool. That makes total sense.
2: I also, I love that his conflict is so specifically, I want to be able to play for humans. Like these these creatures in the swamp don't appreciate my music. I know that's the audience that would get my skill and they are scared for their life when
0: they see me.
3: Now, let's move from Mm Lewis to Ray, who is a middle aged Cajun firefly who's friends with Mama Odie. That's how he comes in. Okay, sure.
2: Yeah, let me just say, I mean, you, David, saying that, like, Mama Odie represents your outlook on life, which is you just need to calm down and find someone to kiss. Ray represents (laughs) Ben's outlook on life with, wouldn't it be cool if you wanted to fuck the moon?
3: That's just what I'm saying. Where he's like, my thing is that I'm in love with the evening star in the sky, and it's like, oh, he thinks it's a firefly. I get it. This won't come up again. And they're like, no, no, that's gonna be the emotional button of the movie. Come on,
0: when he when he dies and his (laughs) and his essence becomes another star, it's amazing. (laughs) It's fantastic.
2: It's fucking great. I, I had totally, totally forgotten that happened. I forgot that he actually dies and that they prove him correct. That he gets to be with his love in the night sky forever. You
3: assume because he sort of dies out because when Facilia steps on him, you don't see it happen.
2: That we'll okay, he'll he won't be dead, dead. They'll like, tinkerbell we'll clap, to this. he'll come back to life.
0: Right. It's really upsetting that it happens and it happens in that way because to be stepped on is so graphic. Like, we see him get stepped on.
2: Real bad. And this is a movie where several frogs have gotten, like, smacked with books and
3: then yeah.
0: popped back up while the yeah. coyotes You know, when out. a bug gets stepped on, it's so, <laughs> It's
3: over. The way he just sort of does it casually and then he's just sort of like, okay. You know, and then moves on as well. It's so cruel. Ah, I love it. I mean, um, and then yeah, go ahead. No, no. What were you going to say, David? Sorry. Well, I was going to move on to Facilia. So, no. If you have more Ray talk, let's talk Ray. He's voiced by Jim Cummings.
2: Uh, yeah, Jim Cummings, who's Winnie the Pooh, is a thousand Darkwing Duck, a uh, uh, a million yeah. billion different characters. He's Ed. Uh, in the hyenas, in you're the saying? Lion King. Right. Yeah, you know,
3: he's like he he's often your funny guy. I feel like right, like yes. he can give you weird weird noises. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Doctor Facilier, uh, the Shadow Man. I
2: mean, just from from an acting standpoint, Keith David's the MVP of this movie, right? Yeah. So dialed in. Such a good singer.
0: The character is frightening. (laughs) Also, like, is just all Keith David has to do is just like, and you're like, oh my god, (laughs) I'm terrified.
2: Everything about this character visually every time he's on screen is just this is the argument for 2D animation, right? Like the character yeah. just feels like an argument for this medium being worthwhile.
0: His shadow, the shad his own shadow like the 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 back and forth that he has with his own shadow and then the other shadow creatures are it's like it's so it's it's terrifying to me and his when he gets dragged when he gets dragged to wherever he's going. <laughs>
3: Whatever voodoo hell, whatever. Yeah, he's gonna get turned into a statue.
0: It's the it's terrifying. I can't imagine being a child and seeing that. It it's and his face in the in the tombstone. Woo, come
2: on. The, The conception of this character is so bizarre because it's like voodoo street magician who wants to own the city. Sure, he is haunted by a bunch of masks who function as like the backup vocalist for cab Calloway. Right. And he's constantly trying to stay ahead of his debts. Like, like he's a gambling addict and they're constantly trying to collect on him. Yes. But he's so, he just sort of like, he, he kind of like coincidentally stumbles into the plot. I mean, like in the opening number, you just see him like playing like three card Monty with people and shit. Yeah.
3: And then it gives someone a, uh, a hair cream and they like turn into a werewolf. I like I like that. That's really funny.
2: Right. But then it's just kind of like he's just this guy who exists in the tapestry of this city looking for a way to run everything.
3: Yes, he's basically like he's gotten these magic powers, but the price is that he needs to like pay these people in whatever dark you know magic tricks and things like right like like yeah cursing people essentially
0: yeah he has to hand over oh that was another very frightening image when he when he's like i'm gonna have the city in the palm of my hand and you'll have as many souls as you as you want and then the, we see the masks suck the souls out of the yeah. fictional people of new orleans that he has in his hands but we see them pulled out of people it's so scary i could i could i i can't imagine seeing that as a kid. I probably would have fast-forwarded through it every time.
2: I just feel like it's interesting that so often the Disney villains, uh, you know, especially in these movies we've been watching, they're very close to the main characters, right? It's like, this is your guardian, this is your parent, this is your boss, you know?
0: Yeah, this vagrant, essentially. This, like, fully not connected at all, like, just like, I'm here too. Right, right.
2: <laughs> Naveen is just dumb enough to walk through his, like, curtain, you know? He, like, but it could have been any mark. Yeah, he, and he needs money, right, yeah. And then Naveen happens to sort of stumble upon Tiana. I mean, there's, like, an interesting amount of coincidence in this movie versus the usual Disney uh, princess movies, which are so, like, it is destined. You know, it is in the tapestry. Sure, um, right. I I ran this by you, David, but my brother, uh, uh, James, you name past and future guest, uh, huge fan of Keith David. Uh, we talk about Keith David a lot. Uh, we have a, a group text thread with his friend, uh, Gabe, who I think listens to the show, where we often will talk about if we've rewatched a good Keith David performance or seen one for the first time. It's just like that guy never gets enough credit. Let's have this three person text tr- uh, thread be a safe space to discuss Keith David at any moment. and. And I think Gabe at one point threw out, uh, what is the best Keith David movie? And I had extended this to you, Dave. And I said, it's an interesting question because you have to go, is it what is the best film that Keith David is in? Right. In, in which case you're thinking The Thing, right? You're thinking
3: that kind of thing, right? You know, he's, he's been in some very masterpieces.
2: Right. Like The Thing might be, be the best movie he's in, right? But you're like, or is it what movie uses Keith David the best? And this is top, this is high on the list. Right. Right. Like, I don't love this movie, but you kind of have to, like, it's kind of inarguable this is a top three Keith David movie from that prism, and that it almost feels like this movie is a tribute to, like, Keith <laughs> yeah. David.
0: Isn't this guy great? Yeah, this guy's don't, so unbelievable. Don't we love Keith David. <laughs> yeah.
3: It, it, yeah like let's give him let's he finally gets a run
0: i that i find that really hard to even try to answer like even attempt to answer
2: it is a fascinatingly difficult question it, and you forget
3: that like oh right he's in Requiem for a dream right like there's so many movies he's in where you're like oh, I completely forgot he has like ten minutes in that one
0: and then even if you're thinking about like utilizing him versus how good is the movie but like he's such a good He's such a good villain, and yeah. then, but then he's Great also villain. such a good, like warm, lovable character. Like he can, pl- he plays so he can play both sides, and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know what even is the best energy I like from Keith David. Like you don't know which one of those you want more than the. That's other.
2: that's what makes it so tough. I mean, I was saying to David, there's almost an argument I want to form that the best Keith David movie is something about Mary, just because that is a performance that is just Keith David. Like he gets yeah. to own about a 10 minute stretch of that movie where you just feel like none of that was on paper and he's just giving you everything. <laughs>
3: he's yeah. so funny in that movie. He's just so funny. Kind of very crucial to the movie's obviously crucial yeah. early scene, right? You know, like the 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 line deliveries are very crucial. I mean, in that, that year he has that and Armageddon.
0: Yeah. Two oh, wow.
3: huge hits where he has, like, 10 minutes in each.
0: I mean, I would argue that the best Keith David movie is the one you're watching... Right now. Like whichever one you're like, that's the best one. Like <laughs>
3: and you you probably are watching a movie that he's in. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's very possible. Or a TV show. That
0: that's a great
2: point. And that's why this group test exists. Because anytime we watch a Keith David movie, one of us wants to text the other two and go, like, is this the best one? Uh yeah. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia right now. First of all, he says that his three favorite voice performances of all time are Spawn, Goliath, and Dr. Facilier. Which even just thinking about that, you're like, right, he was. HBO Spawn. He was Spawn. the voice of Spawn, right. Yeah, in, in H- the HBO show. He was Goliath on Gargoyles. And then he's like the best modern Disney villain. But then you also look at like other voiceover roles and you're like, right, he's the narrator in the English version of Princess Mononoke. He has vaguely anonymous roles like Frollo's Soldiers and Hunchback of Notre Dame, Apollo the Sun God and Hercules. Like he's got a lot of the small ones. But then he's in Coraline. Wait, oh, yes. He's the cat in Coraline. Yeah. It's great in Coral. He's the cat.
1: Yeah. Yes. He's
3: so he's so cool. Oh my
0: gosh. That when that cat starts talking, you're like, Oh my like yeah. <laughs> I want the movie to be this for the rest of the time. Like yes. I just want to hear this cat talk.
3: He He's the narrator of like uh, Ken Burns's jazz. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he can give you, obviously, his one season turn on community is fantastic. I love Elroy Potashnik.
0: Every time he pops up on on Rick and Morty, I'm like, can I? Yes. <laughs> I just want to hear him. Some more.
2: I love how much they use him and the president, all that shit. But then I'm just looking at other shit here. And it's like, right, he was he was Black Panther on the Fantastic Four cartoon. I mean, and this is just us talking about the voiceover work, right? I mean, from what do we know,
3: right, Griff? He's one of those guys where, like, if you've got a role for him, he'll do it. Like, he's not... He's a hard worker. Yes. He's not hard to get. He makes, like, 10 movies a year. Yes. Right? Like, you know, he'll show up in a big movie. He'll show up in a straight-to-video behind-enemy-lines sequel. Like, he'll he will do it all.
2: I, I believe I've read interviews with him where he's said as much of just, like, I consider myself very lucky to be able to work, and I, I don't take that lightly. And he's also a guy who just... Has the craft and the discipline enough that he truly is never bad. Why should he turn down a role? He will always be the best thing in whatever he's in. It will never diminish his reputation to be in a movie. He only makes himself look better by going, How was Keith David so good in this? I just want to say, I'm looking at his live action Wikipedia now. Yes, so this, to
3: be cl- he has like 10, ten Broadway credits. He's a yeah. Tony nominee. Like, you know, he,
2: he, he's obviously he's won Emmys. He He's done everything and he's done everything equally well. I just want to say I'm looking at his live action filmography. His first film credit is Disco Godfather Club Patron Uncredited. Right. Hell yeah. So that doesn't really <laughs> count. Good. That doesn't. But but like that doesn't really count. Right. That sounds like yeah. it's an extra. What do you think his first proper film role is?
3: I, I I unfortunately know because I was looking to, it's The Thing. That's his first movie role.
2: It's The Thing. The Thing is his first movie. Whoa. Then his and He's second, very good in it. His second movie is yeah. Platoon.
3: Yeah, he's good in that
2: too. Right, and then you're just like, okay, within that first decade, he does Bird, he does They Live, he does Roadhouse, he does Always. He does Two Carpenters, an Eastwood, a Spielberg. Mm-hmm. It's God, true. he's yeah. the fucking I mean, best he,
3: he, he does uh, he works with spike lee he did clockers yeah. he works with sam Raimi, he did the quick and the dead like i mean he's got an incredible voice as mm-hmm. of course
0: that's what we're talking about here yeah um i did i keep replaying when i was in when i was i did uh, a a training lab at the Sha- at the public theater in new york right after school and um right after college i should say so that people know what i'm talking about but um I it I played Othello in one of my scenes and I I keep I replay this in my head often which was the director was just like you know Keith David played Othello on this stage so you gotta bring it and I I think about that every time I do anything I, I go yep Keith David played Othello on that stage once. Like I could be, I could be in LA shooting something and it'll be like, "Yep." but remember that Keith David played Othello on this. You know, what's incredible about that, James? It's not
2: like you got to see that performance. Someone just told you, you know, Keith David, he played Othello and you in your head went, well, that must've been one of the great performances in history. You just have no doubt in your mind that that must've been historic work. (laughs)
0: It's and it must be true. There's probably somewhere. I. I, Yep.
2: (laughs) God, I'm just look more things. I just like forget. Like, right. He's the villain in Barbershop. He's five roles in Cloud Atlas. It just it's so deep. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. It's just so much fun to watch this character move on screen. And it is so much fun to hear him see say or sing
0: anything. And you you don't want him to be sucked to the to voodoo hell. Like, you're like, no. you're like, oh, shit. Even though he's been doing all this stuff. We haven't seen him. He hasn't killed anybody. He has Oh, wait, no. He, well, stepped, on, he, stepped, he stepped on, on Ray. Ray. He stepped on he Ray. He stepped on Ray. He did step on Ray. That's the most egregious thing he did. And honestly, I loved Ray. <laughs> yeah. But when he's like, oh, no, I have, a, I have other plans. I have other plans. Please. No. You're like, no, don't suck him into hell. That having been said, he also is one of the most purely
2: villainous Disney characters in that there's no like tragic backstory. There's no redeeming. He's just a guy who enters is scary, is in (laughs) league with demons and cons people. And you're still like, I feel bad for this guy. We should give him another chance. That's Keith David. That's all Keith David, though. Like Keith David is just everything he says is simultaneously kind of scary, kind of funny, kind of sexy.
0: It is all three of those things.
2: (laughs) At all times.
3: <laughs> I, I want to say that Bruce Smith, who uh, co directed Space Jam, uh, is his animator and said basically, like, my favorite Disney villains are Captain Hook and Cruella Deville. Mm. And that is what I wanted him to be. I wanted mm-hmm. him to have the physicality of a Cruella Deville, right? This sort of long, exiguous, you know, crazy stick like sort of, you know, herky jerky figure. Uh, at, but then, right, like, I guess the sort of panache
2: of a Captain Hook I, is sort of right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: We we were talking about that on one of our earlier episodes. How it feels like Captain Hook and Ursula were the first two Disney villains that enjoyed being villains, that were like having fun. Captain Hook is cool. He's got a hook
0: for yeah. hand. Did you know you that? You fully respect them. You fully respect them for having such a good time being like, I'm going to kill this kid. <laughs> like, he's <it's> like, Captain <laughs> Hook's like, I'm going to. Kill this child. And you're like, fuck yeah, Captain Hook.
2: Like, Not only that, you're like, maybe I should kill a child? If they, I mean, it's, it seems like it's working for this guy.
3: Jesus. It's true. He's cool. That's So all this stuff that we're talking about, all this side stuff, I just love it. It's part of why I always enjoy this movie. Anytime I've thrown it on is, is the middle section. I, I think everything you guys are saying about the Naveen-Tiana romance, totally fair. As much as I like people kissing. But uh, it's powered along by all this other stuff, which is, you know, lots of Disney movies do that, obviously. They have the side characters, you know, give you a lot of the energy. But uh, I love it.
2: I guess I I just, it just exclusively becomes about the side characters and the villains at this point. As long as they're frogs, I kind of just stop giving a shit about the two of them until that's resolved.
0: They really do hand the movie over to them, and it feels like it's theirs. And it's, I, I mean... It's sad.
2: I also agree with you James that I think in particular Tiana's frog design is pretty uninspired and and unexpressive. Like it's it, the, the Naveen frog at least has a little more fun where it's like oh is this Pepé le Pew frog and whatever. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I like when he has the little banjo and he's
0: playing it the little like log banjo. Yes, the, the log with with spider web on it, right? Is that what the <laughs> Yep.
2: The the Tiana frog just looks like they put eyelashes and hips on the Naveen frog. Boom! <laughs> like uh, right, it just feels like well, of course, for the two genders, frog and lady frog. We all know that frog is neutral, and lady frog is the variation. Uh, yeah, she's got her hands on her hips
3: a lot, obviously, because she's always yeah. frustrated with him because he's yeah. such
2: a cad with good reason.
3: Yeah, he's a bit of a cad, played by Bruno Campos, uh, who is like. Kind of retired now. Uh he stopped at right after this movie. He like went to law school and now he's like an
0: environmental lawyer. Wow. He was great in this, but I get it.
3: Yeah, he's Brazilian, but before this, you know, he'd been on like Nip, tuck a lot, and he'd done, you know, foreign films and you know, been in sitcoms and stuff.
0: Uh he's on Jesse, uh, if you remember. He got that Disney money and he was like, I don't need to do anything else. Let me save the world. <laughs>
3: like yeah, it was, went- like- Went to Michigan, got a JD.
0: Disney residuals must be so
2: bananas. I yeah, heard, I heard a story secondhand from a friend who is friends with someone who had a primary role in a Pixar movie. And I was talking to them about how I've been trying to like focus more on voiceover work. And he was like, that's lucrative, right? And I'm like, no, it's just like, it all pays scale, right? If you get one of these big things, I imagine it pays well. It's a lot easier and less time consuming, but everything pretty much pays scale. And he was like, so my friend who was in a Pixar movie, I asked her about it and she said, and and like a big part in a big one, she was like, it was like $60,000, you know, like nothing to sneeze at. But it's like for a movie that big, you're just like, oh, that's, you know, it's what fucking Robin Williams got for Aladdin before all these things got it. But it's like, unless you're a massive movie star and you're the title character, it's pretty much like baseline, you get $60,000. Sure. And then he was like, and then a year later, the first residual check paid for her house.
0: <laughs> oh my pay, wait paid for a house that- yeah she
2: just bought a house the next year the residuals bought a house wow yeah and like a good house in Hollywood is this is a major role I'm assuming like, it's like not a major a- supporting role but then it was also like and then you do the things for the theme parks and the video games and the specials and the shorts and whatever and it's just like it just never stops like the, the thing you get paid least for is doing the movie itself the first time and then it just never ceases to pay out for you well, people do pay for these movies, and Disney remains successful. Well, this is the thing I want to talk about. David, you were you were saying the, the Moana conundrum of, uh, you know, do we want to just watch the girl be good at everything? Do mm. we want to see Tiana just be good at running a business? It was recently announced at Disney Investor Day that they are doing a Tiana TV show for Disney Plus that is going to be 2D, and it is pointedly- going to be 2D by Walt Disney feature animation. It is not done by the television department. It oh, seems wow. like they are giving them a show in order to keep 2D animators on payroll, giving them something to do. So it's going to be high quality. I think this is coinciding with uh, uh Splash Mountain is now going to be a Tiana ride. Uh, Disney looked at the clock and went, 2020 now feels like the moment for, to begin considering that maybe one of our biggest rides shouldn't be themed around Song of the South. So they announced that Splash Mountain's is going to be redone to be all Tiana themed. And I think they're probably dovetailing those two things together. It seems like Disney is trying to uh, uh, use Tiana as a human who is now a princess and a business owner as more of a character to make more stories in that timeline and not just be stuck with frog Tiana.
3: We, we should acknowledge that in the final act of this movie, of course, uh, he, tries to get kissed by, um, what's her pants? The John Goodman's daughter. To, to do doesn't,
2: doesn't get it done in time. It's also a pretty sweaty. Oh, she will technically be a princess for three hours because her father is king of Mardi Gras. Okay. Yeah.
3: No, it's Cool. It's cool. He's the king of Mardi Gras. Okay. Uh, just like if you're the mattress king, right? Or you're like, right, the real estate king.
2: But then does that make your daughter the mattress princess? That's my sure. question.
3: Okay. Why not? Yes. <laughs> but, but it doesn't work because Mardi Gras ends. And so they decide to just be frogs together. And then, of course, they are legally wed as frogs. And in that, that makes Tiana a princess because he is a prince. And so when they kiss, they they are humans again. That, that's how they close that circle.
2: And I'll say, when that happens, I go, yeah, duh, guys. You should have realized that a long time ago.
0: You're a prince. They s- sang the whole song. They sang the yeah. whole song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, they didn't get
3: it. I, maybe they were worried that like a swamp wedding, a swamp frog wedding might not be legally binding in the eyes of magic. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. Did yeah.
1: you notice, though, that the magic was slimy when they transformed? Very slimy, yes. I like that.
0: Oh, at the end when they, when, they, when they reverted back? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. They got some that's... mucus magic. We love it.
2: I am just like, I don't know what this Tiana show is going to be, but I would be very excited if it was just like, Tiana and her animal friends yeah. run a cafe. <laughs> I would love for it to be that.
0: Yeah, like Louis plays the, the trumpet there.
1: I mean, that's a great start right there.
0: Right,
2: I'm just like make it cheers in the 1920s in New Orleans, and Louis is like coach, but he also plays music. I mean I, I don't not like that.
0: I would love that. Like it's called Tiana's Place, and like, you know, everyone shows up. They're the, the regular people that go there every day. There's there's a there has to be though, like a a voodoo, like a protege of of uh facilier who is like Who's going after them, or I won't watch the show. <laughs> this,
2: yeah, Keith David needs to be involved. Please, please. But yeah, all that's known is it's called Tiana.
0: Oh, it's just called Tiana. That's, they shouldn't have done that. That's wrong.
2: It's just called Tiana, which in and of itself is like encouraging.
0: <laughs> no, it should, have, it should have been called Tiana's place.
2: Well, what I'm saying
0: we're halfway <laughs> there.
2: We're, we're almost there.
3: What if it was called like the further adventures of Tiana and she's
2: definitely a frog? Like, what if they had made it? <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm hoping they'll evolve the title to Tiana's place.
0: Yeah, because it feels like if it's something called Tiana, I would feel like there'd be like, we found a reason to make her a frog again. You know what I mean? Like, it just feel, it begs, it begs to do that again. You know, like, I like I hate when TV shows about a movie do that, where they're like, that thing that you really don't like about the movie. <laughs> we're going to make that the whole thing.
2: <laughs> uh, we're going to undo whatever exciting, cathartic, Uh, victory happened at the end of the movie um yeah i am i'm interested to see what that uh show is uh but it is interesting i feel like this movie comes out they were pinning a lot on it they were banging the drum really hard of like this is important we have to regain the disney musical it underperforms and then tangled is so big the next year you know, then the next run of them are all just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That it's just like, well, I guess no looking back now. It feels like, uh, I don't know. I worked at the Disney store a couple years after this movie came out, and Tiana Merch was always really, really big. It did always feel like there was a lot of love for this character even if the movie never got elevated to that classic status. I,
3: I think this movie has a big cultural footprint. I know a lot of, like, you know, young kids like it. Like, I, I feel, it does feel like it has lingered. I mean, it, for them to, it's not just, you know, like for them to do the Splash Mountain thing, right? And to announce the TV show,
2: like you say, like, obviously they must have noticed. It, it right. feels like they're, they're noticing that there's love for this movie a decade plus later. I'm interested to see what they do with, with the character and the world now. Uh, because there are elements I like. Yeah, they also
3: made a huge mistake, which was that they released this film in mid-December. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. Like, obviously, they put it out limited like Thanksgiving weekend, but like it's it's wide releases December 11th. This is a summer movie, I think. Yeah. Like, I I it I you know I you know sure Disney Christmas, it's family time, but like none nothing about this movie is Christmassy. No. Um. And also, that's just such a busy time. Like, you know,
2: like it's t- a little tougher to nose in there. I also, I, I, I think it's weirdly like it's too light. It's too much of a romp to play as a holiday movie. You know, where I think if a Disney musical is going to come out in the holidays, it usually has a little more uh, weight to it. And even just like Tangled and Frozen feel more epic and have more adventure and action and shit. You know, when did Frozen come out? Frozen was a Thanksgiving movie, right? Frozen, Tangled both come out in November. Yeah, yeah. now they, they pretty much stick with the Thanksgiving. Moana, Frozen, Tangled, both Ralph movies are Thanksgiving. Zootopia is like the one that came out in the spring. Huge hit. Huge hit. I mean, all of them have been hits. Um, yes, okay. We're going to
3: play the box office game. We're okay. doing the wide release, right, Griffin? That's what you want.
2: Yeah, right, because they tried to repeat that thing, too, where they, like, mm-hmm. released it in one theater in L.A., one theater in New York, and then it didn't even really blow the doors off there.
3: Oh, I would say that it did. I mean, a $400,000 per screen average is pretty good, right? Yeah. I, I stand corrected. I misremembered. It, it did. It did good. I But I do think that whole strategy is a mistake these days.
2: But I I, I know in New York... They played it at like the Ziegfeld, and they had some pre-show thing and like a, a a program, and the tickets cost more, and they were really trying to make it into like a roadshow-style event thing for that one week to hope that it would build word of mouth as like this is important. Yeah, am I am I correct remember it like just made a hundred? It made yeah it,
3: domestically. It made a hundred and four. Made two seventy worldwide. Tangled, like you said makes 200 and like 580 worldwide. Like Tangled's just a big level up and it's partly the 3D thing, I think. You know, and, you know, there's other things too, but like I do think that it's just like, no, 3D movies are now what children's animated movies look like. You know, get used to it.
2: Yeah, and one could argue there this had not laid dormant long enough for there to be quite the sense of longing that was needed. I think Tangled also like, even though it's a different visual style, I think Tangled benefited from the same, oh, it's been a while since there was a princess musical.
3: Right. I guess that's part of it. I also think, like, the reason I didn't see this movie in theaters is that she turns into a frog. And I saw the trailer and I was like, that seems stupid. Like, what? why is she a frog? Like, I was just kind of like, eh, I'll catch this later. And then I caught it later and I was
2: like, a firefly turns into a star. It's about kissing. This is good. All the Disney corporate people also like talk about this as like one of their waterloos where they're just like, we really had faith in if we sell the Disney magic, we need to be a princess. It needs to be traditional. It needs to be classical. People will want it. And they said like by the time it came out, the perception was this is old fashioned and only for little girls. Like this is for five year olds. This is a baby movie. <laughs> like it it very much read juvenile and read kind of stodgy it's why I think it will happen at some point.
3: There will be some moment where, whatever, the cultural temperature is right, and this probably wasn't it.
2: Yeah. I think when people saw Tangled and Frozen, which they marketed deceptively, but it worked in terms of getting people to the theaters, I, I would hear people say, oh, I didn't realize how much I missed those movies. Okay, so does this movie open at number one? Uh, well, in its wide release, yes. It gets to number one.
3: Uh, it's a $24 million. It's not a huge opening, but solid. And the the next week in Avatar comes out, right? See, that's another fucking problem. You're right. Yes, the next week in Avatar comes out.
2: Yeah, I think it's literally the week before the biggest movie. Oh, come
0: yeah. on. There's too much. There's too much to act against this. <laughs>
2: it was just they fucked up everything.
3: Uh, the th- Number two, though, Griffin, is one of the major phenomenons of the year. It's dropped 25% Uh, in its fourth week. It's still number two, dropping really low every single time. It was number one the week before.
2: Is it what I consider the most inexplicable blockbuster of the 2010s? Sure. I don't know. The blind side? It's the blind side. Yeah. How the fuck did that happen? I still don't get it.
3: (laughs) It's like American Sniper. It was like a Heartland movie. It was a movie where it's like, this is a great inspirational true story. We're taking the whole family like, you know what I mean? Like, even more so because American Sniper was, you know, intense. Yeah. So that had that. But the blind side, is just like, this is a movie for the whole family. You'll laugh. You'll cry. yeah, You'll you'll check your blind side. Like, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I cannot.
2: <laughs> I, I once again, David, it's not that I don't understand that they were successful. The numbers on those two movies are so outsized. It's they're bizarre. crazy. It's bizarre that it's just like, why these ones to some degree? And like what Blindside was 250 domestic?
3: Yeah, there was the Bullock thing uh, I guess like oh it's a comeback for her. Proposal had come out that same year, right? Yeah, and like she wins the Oscar obviously, but uh yeah,
2: not a good movie. I did see it. Not very good. Just like really treacly. But but as you said, it like opened big like the same weekend as Twilight and they were like, "Wow, that's a big number 2 for Blindside." And then Twilight started dropping and Blindside started growing. And then it was number one, like, in its third or fourth week. And it's still holding on. Yep. Just so bizarre, that movie.
3: Number three, another inspirational sports true story drama. New this week.
2: From 2009.
3: And it's not, it's not a live-action Disney, right? No, it's not. It's an Oscar-nominated film from a major auteur. Hmm. who we will cover one day maybe I guess even though he's made like a million movies.
2: Is it based on a, a a true story a true a true athlete?
3: Yes, true story, a major major historical figure of our lifetime. But it's a sports movie.
2: Yeah, it's a sports movie with a major historical figure of our lifetime. Certainly. That's an interesting distinction.
3: I mean I I don't I just mean like this is this is the movie where it's like oh my god this big actor is playing this insanely famous consequential person,
2: but also it's a sports movie. Hmm. (laughs) The sports thing is almost kind of secondary. You think of the person as a figure first kind of, he's a political
3: figure of major importance. It's just that like, it's just that
2: (laughs) do you know, do you know what this is? I'm just like, this isn't Ali. What is this?
0: Yeah. I have no idea
2: i try to think of other athletes who had, like, major political importance. And I, like,
3: he's not an athlete. He's not an athlete. But the movie is a sports movie. Oh, 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 motherfucker. It's Invictus. Invictus. Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Basically the first major Nelson Mandela movie. Because the Idris Elba one comes later, yeah. right? Long Walk to Freedom. Yeah. Uh, Like... And like Morgan Freeman, I feel like had been circling a Nelson Mandela movie for so long. And then it's like, we're doing it. Clint Eastwood is directing it. And it's specifically about the 1994 Rugby World Cup. That's what it's about. It's about that. Like that year, him getting this like team, like to win a big trophy, this team of like white players like that. That's the narrative they finally settled on.
2: It is one of those movies that I feel like in like January or February of any year, there's a movie that entertainment writers already resent where you're like, this is just going to win every fucking Oscar. And (laughs) that film always somehow comes up short. Like it's like the Cinderella man. Yes. The Good Shepherd. Charlie Wilson's war. Good Shepherd kind of center where you're like, these people making this movie on this subject. And I just remember my dad watching some ESPN, like, 30 for 30 about the real story. And he was just like, that's going to win Best Picture so fucking hard. You're telling me Morgan Freeman is playing Nelson Mandela? They're going to give him all four acting categories this year. He
3: <laughs> just won an Oscar was part of the problem for a Clint Eastwood movie. But
2: also the whole movie is just kind of a little limp. It's just sort of there.
3: It's a little limp. Yeah, I only saw it once. Have you seen it, James? I mean, it's okay.
0: I have not seen it. It's... Like- such a shrug of a movie. Yeah. Such a shrug of a movie.
2: All right, number four,
3: Griffin, as you mentioned. It's a major franchise entry.
2: It's Twilight, but it's the second one. It's New Moon. Directed by a Friend of the Show, Chris White's New Moon.
3: A colossal, colossal hit. 300 million
2: dollars I mean as, as I've said before on the show I went to see New Moon at midnight And when the Summit Entertainment logo came up It got more applause than I will ever earn For anything in my <laughs> entire <laughs> life It was a sobering moment It was you have to limit Your expectations for your career You will never create that much excitement In anyone And number uh,
3: Five is a movie that we just discussed on this podcast Another Disney film More suited to the holiday than uh, Princess and the Frog. Ooh,
2: we just discussed it on this podcast. We didn't do an episode about it, did we? We did in our past miniseries. Oh, it's fucking Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas Carol. I mean, truly the most boring film ever made. Jim Carrey, you're very dull.
0: I never saw it.
2: It's not good. Yeah. I mean, James, I'll put it this way. I've watched it and I haven't seen it.
0: That's how I feel about The Blind Side. (laughs) I've watched it, but I haven't seen it. It's impossible
2: to have seen that movie. You can watch it. You can be (laughs) in the act of watching it currently. You cannot have watched it.
3: Um, Some other movies in the top 10. Brothers. Remember Brothers? Tobey Maguire, Jake Gyllenhaal. Brothers. What if they were brothers?
2: That's another one, though, where it's like, isn't it a remake of a Suzanne Beer movie? And it's Jim Sheridan and Natalie Portman. It was just like, oh, Oscar, 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 Oscar yeah too
3: dark i think because it was it's a it's an iraq war drama you know that sort of long legacy of iraq war dramas not connecting with audiences until american sniper uh old dogs griffin is in the top 10
2: uh yes i mean the most demented film ever made
3: uh you've got 2012 roland emmerich's 2012 a movie i
2: love uh you love 2012 yeah you always give me shit for this
0: yeah, when the, when the dude throws his, his, ch- his child up and then falls into the chasm, oh man, come on. <laughs> that's, that's It's beautiful.
2: <laughs> exactly, James. It is precisely my flavor of nonsense. It is the exact kind of ugly bullshit nonsense that I fall for. Well, we
0: hated that guy, you know what I mean? Yes. We, we were like, this guy's such an asshole, you know, but then he died saving his child. And so then it was like, but was he – because that was what was driving him was his kids the whole time.
2: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Also, that movie has uh, an original song sung by Adam Lambert called Time for Miracles that feels like one of the more recent examples of someone trying to do a I don't want to miss a thing. And I just love the music video of Adam Lambert fully Adam Lambert and singing like this love theme from 2012 intercut with footage of like buildings falling into the center of the earth. <laughs> it's just it's a thing we stopped getting outside of the 90s. And that alone makes me love the movie so much. Um, the only one that I
3: want to shout out is that uh, Nimrod Antel's Armored, which is like mm. a pretty good B movie. Like, yeah, kind of, that guy is a good B movie director. Uh,
2: and that's his best work. He was sort of supposed to be the next guy. I feel like he was being pegged as, like, this is a cool, like, genre, scrappy guy who's gonna move up and be like Jamie Colette Sarah. And then it sort of never really happened.
3: It didn't happen because his Predators movie, which is pretty fun, doesn't make uh, enough money or whatever. Like, and that yeah. kind of dooms him. But that movie, you know, Matt Dillon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jean Renault, you know,
2: they're robbing an armored truck good shit yeah geez right it's he does vacancy armored mm-hmm. predators he does uh uh controlled which was hungarian but those three american movies which people liked, then he does the metallica half concert documentary half fiction film and then he's made one hungarian film since then he just like totally he's
3: working on um Shyamalan's show servant right now he's been directing some of that so i guess maybe he's trying to nudge his way back in i don't know
2: I just definitely felt like he was being primed.
3: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's it. Princess and the Frog. It doesn't do that well. Ron Musker, I mean, is it Clements and Musker? They go into retirement, sort of, right?
2: Right. That's what's so funny is it's like Disney fires them. They go like, I guess we're done. Lassiter pulls them <laughs> off and goes like, you got to come back. They do this movie. It underperforms. They're like, I guess we're retired. Well, and then then- I
3: forgot. No, I forgot. They don't retire. They go back to developing an adaptation of terry pratchett's novel mort from right. Discworld, which is like their other passion project
2: right which was never going to get made at disney right right
3: and they can't figure out the rights and so it never happens and they're kind of like well you know i guess you know whatever and then
2: disney's like you're coming back baby that's what that's what happened they didn't retire they left disney they they got fired from disney they left disney and now they're retired.
3: Now they now they are officially retired. I think yeah. I've heard that uh, John Musker and we can talk about this next week is currently animated his animating a digital short himself by hand, which sounds like just like a fun old guy project. You know what I mean? Like, so that's cool. But yes, that's there. That's what's up with them.
2: Just everything about these guys who it's very hard to figure out who they are. And and I have a friend who recently watched uh, like a a video digital q a with them and was like i watched them speak for like an hour and a half i don't know who they are they just seem like nice old guys but it also is hard to picture them ever being young they just feel like they fundamentally have always been nice old bald men but you know that it's such a run
3: from them it's the most definable run in
2: like disney history in a crazy way uh james thank you so much for coming on the show
0: guys thank you
2: it had been far too long we will will have you on again much sooner uh people should watch astronomy club on netflix i'm a strong believer in that you should never stop plugging your canceled streaming show
0: (laughs) yeah please watch astronomy club watch watch season one i feel like they need to change the you know how they have the they'll tell you how many seasons something is the drop down menu yeah. And, they you know, they they need to just be like the, sh- the show, you know, they need to not say the season number because then that feels like makes you feel like there's going to be more seasons to it, you know, because <laughs> seasons come back. That's the whole thing about a season, is it
3: right? It should say like the complete series or whatever, right? Something very fancy found fancy sounding.
2: It should say a season.
0: Yes, A-C-, yeah.
3: <laughs> AC. Well, that sounds weird because then it's like you have to go hunt for the other ones. Like I don't. Like, we got a season.
0: Yeah, we got a season
3: of this.
2: <laughs> uh, but it was a great show. Uh, Cancelled far too soon. Too soon. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but you're 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 the best, and people should listen to uh, uh, Black and can in Hollywood. Obviously, please
0: do. Yeah. yeah. You know, talking about we listen to listen to both episodes. Listen to to me talk about Prince of the Frog here and then there, and then just see.
2: Uh, And soul there as well. I'm excited to listen to your guys' soul episode. Uh, And thank you all for listening to this episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Thank you to our editing team, Alex Barron and AJ McKeon. Thanks to The Great American Novel for our theme song. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit and go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. We're still trekking. We're going to keep on trekking through the Kirk and Spock movies over on Patreon. Uh, so tune in for that. And I guess our Blanky Awards episode will be coming up right around now, right? I believe Moana next and then the Blankies. yes. Yes. Uh, so, that, so that's what you have to look forward to. Next week, Moana closing the book on Musker and Clements. We're going to consider the coconut. And, uh, and then after that, we're going to consider the best of 2020, a year that is defined by how good it was.
3: <laughs> a year to remember. I love reminiscing about
2: 2020. <laughs> All those movies I watched on my couch.
3: James, ah, yeah.
0: what a time.
2: You just made me realize there's going to be a point where people start saying, Is it crazy that I'm like a little bit nostalgic for
0: quarantine? <laughs> yeah.
2: It's going to happen right away. That's going to happen next week. It's going to take two goddamn days and i'm going to <laughs> go berserk
0: a week into biden's presidency and we see how everyone goes crazy i mean i actually probably by the time this comes out we it will have very much passed but but a week into biden's presidency everyone's gonna be like oh remember when whatever crazy thing happens didn't happen anymore
2: <laughs> i know right by this by the point this episode comes out people will be writing new york times op-ed saying is it just me or do I miss getting Offended by things the president tweets Every day
3: 100%. I miss Trump on Twitter
2: Why is this guy so level headed I, I I, mean where's the drama I felt a sense of risk every morning When I woke up To be clear I
3: do not feel that way
2: I don't feel that way either Never Absolutely <laughs> never. fun Fucking the never. Mentally never Well and as always That's it Yeah, as always, we're just never going to feel that way. I don't even have an additional joke. I just want to reassert we will never feel that way.
1: Do you have a Cajun in you, Griff? We're going to find out right now. (laughs)